I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here. Well, here in my parents' basement, but with Sam Monson back in the studio. We're previewing all of the Week 16 action. Sam, how was the podcast yesterday with Trevor filling in? I don't want to say it was better, but but some people have. You know, admittedly, the first one was Austin no. Gale in the in the chat, but still, you know, you've become a, you've become a cliche. You've become the the nerd in your mom's basement. Yes, I do that every now and again, and um, I'm back. I love this. Great setup. We got the Christmas tree in the back. Last year, my dad was. Walking around, fixing the tree and everything. He might be back. He might be back for another appearance. We'll see. And by the people, I mean Tyler. Tyler certainly wants that. We'll see what we can do. Uh, But yeah, Trevor is bringing the energy yesterday. I feel like we got to keep the energy levels up. That was good. It was a good guest appearance. I mean, I don't think he could hold it down for 365 days or anything like that, but it was a good guest appearance by him. Okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll convey that to him. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear it. And then next time I see Austin, I'm probably going to punch him. I saw him calling for my job in the chat and everything. I saw that. Anyway, happy holiday mood. You versus Austin, I think, would be a fun fight. You know, it'd be one of those David versus Goliath things. How long can he dance around and avoid getting the one knockout punch? And then you just lumbering in his direction, trying to, you know, lurch him to death with one shot. You think I'm like a heightist or whatever, but, you know, those, the low, uh, low pad level guys, you know, that's, that's tough. They do have an advantage in there, so don't underestimate them. Anyway, we got a full slate here. There's no Thursday night football, so we have a full 16 games to get through. It should take four to four to seven hours here. We got this. All right, let's start with some of the best games of the week. Uh, one of the best games, of course, Arizona Cardinals at the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas favored by five and a half right now. Five and a half for the Arizona Cardinals, the team that was sitting atop the NFC just a few weeks ago. Uh, does this speak more to Arizona falling or Dallas just being hot the way they've been playing recently? Well, particularly on Sunday when they just you know decimated the football team. Um, I think a bit of both, right? Like Arizona definitely, the, the luster has come off their season the last couple of weeks. Um, I would imagine everybody is a little bit leery about them compared with where they were before. But the other thing is, A, the Cowboys looked back for the first time, and B, Dallas has been different at home than they have been on the road. And Dak Prescott in particular has been very different at home than on the road. When you look at some of his splits, he's averaging more than a yard per attempt more at home than on the road. His average depth of target is over a yard higher. His big-time throw rate is higher. His turnover-worthy play rate is half, less than half, what it is uh, on the road when he's in Dallas's building and passer rating, you know, 25 27 points higher so that Cowboys offense generally looked back for the first time but Dak Prescott in particular in his own building has been a different player even through the struggles I appreciate you pulling out home road splits I love those you know those those uh 
those do tell a good story. And look, we're, we're two weeks removed from saying the Cowboys offense looks like it's in a little bit of a slump, or Dak in particular in a little bit of a slump. Not seeing the field, turnover-worthy plays, been crazy, out of control. And then Sunday night, absolute domination. Uh, and all during that time, even when Dak was going through his little slump, bumping the road, the defense continued to emerge. You, you see Micah Parsons every single week and Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence rushing the passer, Trevon Diggs with 11 interceptions now. Dallas's defense has just been really good in recent weeks. I think Arizona's defense, they've been bad, but I think they've come back down to earth just a little bit when they've needed to make key stops. And what Arizona really needs to figure out is how they're going to create consistent offense without DeAndre Hopkins. I didn't think it would have this big of an impact. Again, not that they've been terrible all around, but Kyler Murray's consistency just hasn't been there like it was earlier in the season. He's missing far more throws than he was, putting the ball in harm's way a lot more than he was earlier. And I think you know Arizona relying on the A.J. Greens and Christian Kirks and Rondell Moores and Zach Ertz's of the world uh, hasn't, hasn't really been successful, really, compared to when they had all those guys plus DeAndre Hopkins. So I think it's going to be a big game for... You know, who emerges against this Cowboys defense this week? I think the Arizona defense also needs to figure out how to stop the run. Like, they, they've been struggling in that area recently. Um, they're giving up a ton of yardage, a ton of yardage after contact as well. And the one linebacker they have that's like a run-stuffing specialist, their first rounder, Zayvon Collins, hasn't been playing. He's been on the sideline. Um, they've kind of dumped him, essentially, from the defensive game plan. He's only playing special teams right now. And, you know, there are teams that I think that makes some sense against in terms of what they can do in the pass game and issues they can cause him. Like Carolina, he was only on the, on the field for a few snaps, and basically every one of them was a problem, whether it was Cam Newton or Christian McCaffrey making him look ridiculous. But, you know, a team like Dallas might actually make a lot of sense for Zayvon Collins to get some significant game time because he can hold up against, you know, powerful offensive linemen. He does come down and fill the the run lane well and quickly and, and make an impact there I don't know it, it might be a game where they should get him back on the field some more at some point they'll listen to you Sam I mean the the, the Chiefs they listen to your personnel recommendations with more Juan Thornhill and Chris Jones kicking inside all those recommendations from earlier in the season Arizona will do that at some point too because uh, they didn't listen they haven't been listening yet uh, right now the playoff implications here Dallas Cowboys the number two seed in the NFC at 11-4. and four. The, the Cardinals fall to the number five seed. They're 10-5. and five. It doesn't look like the Cardinals can drop much further than the number five seed, but they could always climb back up into that 2-3-4 range uh, if they could win the division. So obviously a huge game for both teams. Dallas is really, really, really close to, to kind of locking up number two if they could win these next two weeks. Uh, the number one seed might be out of reach, but it's not completely. Uh, obviously, the Packers would have to lose at some point, but there's a lot at stake here. And I mentioned last week, we haven't seen a ton of these NFC teams play each other as far as play uh, future playoff matchups, but this is a new one, right? Cardinals and Cowboys, and one that we certainly could see uh, if anything would happen in the second round of the playoffs, likely. But uh, Or it could happen in the first round, too. But either way, a future playoff performance here. This is the... I think Kyler Murray's got to step up again here, Sam. Early early season, Kyler Murray just hasn't really been there since coming back from his injury, much like Dak wasn't necessarily the same right after his injury. So it's two guys who uh, were really good earlier in the year, tapered off a little bit. Dak may have turned the corner on Sunday Night Football. 
Kyler Murray needs to turn the corner. He was good against Indianapolis the other night. Uh, but again, as far as like getting this offense back on track, putting points on the board, we still need to see a little bit more from Kyler here. Um, I think Dallas is talking about Tyron Smith, um, you know, giving it a go. And I don't know, he's another one where it's like, should you just rest him up for the postseason? Like there's a few players in the NFL, Julio Jones, we talked about before, where like maybe you're better off, like just shutting him down for a while and making sure he's 100% by the postseason. Um, Tyron Smith being out there is a big deal for Dallas, but not as big a deal uh, as having him out there for the postseason. So, you know, just seeing how, whether or not he plays, if he plays, does he last? That's an important thing for this Dallas team going forward. Yeah, it certainly is. I think I think his health, um, I think to your point, might be the, the best play there. Arizona has Buda Baker and Rondell Moore, both questionable as well. Uh, Rondell, of course, great as far as, you know, the after the catch and schemed up stuff and, and Buda Baker been, um, you know, one of the playmakers on that defense that uh, they rely upon. They rely on on their safeties making plays. He's been he's always been a guy that's just a little inconsistent. He'll make some big plays. He'll get burned. But uh, a good Buda Baker is pretty key for that Arizona defense. So we'll see what happens as far as injuries go. Uh, five and a half. Does that feel steep for you in this game? Dallas. Uh, given the points at home here. And it's moving in that direction. Um, like the, the line started off at two and a half, I think, and it's been steadily moving out in Dallas's direction. Um, now the PFF data, PFF green line, thinks there's a slight edge towards Arizona just because the line has gone that far. But I do think that Dallas Dallas is the better team and, and wins the game. The question is, you know, can Arizona keep it close enough? I think I'm going to lean Dallas even with the line as big as it is. All right, I'm going Arizona because uh, I will take those points being being that high, and I think Arizona, uh, even though teams are trending in the wrong direction, I could see Arizona bouncing back here this week. Big week for for Kyler uh, coming back here. Uh, working from home, more important than ever now. Optimize your home office with an X chair in our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, that's a DVL. There's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort, and the ability to put it together all by myself. All reasons why I love my X-Chair. Can't wait to get to work, sit in my chair, get the massage going, get the heating going. Makes the workday that much better. So go to xchairnflpod.com right now. That's the letter X, chair. NFLPOD.com or call 1 844 4X Chair for $100 off your order. X Chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. X Chair NFLPod.com seems like it's worth a shot, guys. Go give it a shot for those 30 days at least. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to check out the link in the description and of course the great pictures that Tyler puts up on the screen showing the X Chair. Get to uh, the website and customize it and do all sorts of fun stuff. You didn't drag it with you, no? Throw it in the minivan, 16 hours? It did not fit in the minivan. You know, I tried to, should have gotten video of me trying to like jam it in there. Like, ah, this would be a great sell. Need my X chair at home, you know, on, on vacation. But uh, no, it didn't fit. I could have taken it apart and put it back together, though, because it is that easy. So maybe, maybe next time. All right, Cincinnati Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs favored, is it in Cincinnati, actually? Yeah, it's at Cincinnati. You put this backwards. Chiefs at Bengals. Bengals give, uh, getting five points. So Chiefs favored by five here on the road. They're coming to our hometown of Cincinnati for 
Just a massive game, Sam. You talk about a potential playoff matchup. Cincinnati Bengals sitting atop the AFC North and uh, in control of the AFC North right now. But if you slip up in one week, as we said the other day, if you're not first, you're last in this division. So huge game for both teams. And we've got the highest-graded PFF quarterback, Joe Burrow, going up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. It's another one of those potential signature games for Joe Burrow on his rise to the top. But I think it's going to be a little bit more challenging than what he's faced, or particularly against the Ravens last week. Yeah, I mean, how crazy is that? Just rewind, you know, a few months and say that in this game, the number one graded quarterback in the NFL would be playing for the Bengals, not the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Burrow's ascension has been massive. Patrick Mahomes' play this season has been consistently nowhere near where it typically has been, even if he's obviously always capable of, you know, crazy, freakish throws that he makes look routine. His overall baseline has just not been the same. It's interesting. The Bengals are coming off that monster day. Burrow with 500 yards passing, a real statement win against Baltimore, albeit a Ravens team absolutely ravaged by injuries in the secondary in particular, which obviously is important when you're putting up 500 passing yards. Um, But a game where they finally kind of let Burrow off the leash and said, go passing nuts. Like, we're not going to run the ball with Joe Mixon every first down. You get to do what you do. And it was fantastic. And all of a sudden, you know, the Bengals are maybe this force that people weren't necessarily giving them credit for. It feels to me, though, that this might be a little bit of a letdown game. Um, Because if there's one area where that offense is still an issue, it's the offensive line up front, which was never great. You know, last year, obviously, it was bad enough that it got Burrow injured. This year, it's been better. Um, But... They're getting, they're injured, they're banged up. And when you have a sort of sketchy offensive line that has to go into the bench, you've usually got some real issues against, you know, the last couple of teams that hasn't been a massive issue. I think Kansas City, though, have the horses to make that a problem. Like Chris Jones has been one of the best pass rushers in the NFL since he moved back inside. Melvin Ingram, since he arrived from Pittsburgh, has multiple pressures in every single game. Um, Frank Clark has his best pass rushing grade since 2018. All of a sudden, you look at that Chiefs defense, which is playing out of its mind, and I think they can cause Joe Burrow some problems. And if there's an area of his game that is still weak, it's what happens. Not how does he play under pressure, but how much of that pressure does he actually allow get home and cause problems? Yeah, so um, just to touch on the pass rush that you're talking about quickly – yeah, Burrow, one of the disconnects between, I think, our grades and other grades, uh, something like QBR is really uh, – so so something like QBR really focuses on negative plays from sacks and, and you know, running, and, and they're probably weighed higher than, than we would weigh those. That's why Joe Burrow, in our system, sitting at number one, a little bit lower in, uh, in other advanced metrics like EPA or, or QBR, which is driven by EPA. And, again, I always point to our number that I think would – would highlight that is the percentage of those pressured sack uh, snaps that become sacks, as you're alluding to. If the Chiefs get pressure, which I do expect, it's for Burrow. It's it's can he get rid of the ball? I, I'm seeing him try to play a lot of hero ball recently. He had that ridiculous play against the Ravens last week where he broke through like three sacks and then kind of chucked it up into coverage and the whole thing. But. Um, if if he plays, I think he's playing with fire a little too much. So those are great plays. 
I think if you have too many of those, too many of Joe Burrow trying to play hero ball late in the down, I, I think that's going to come back to bite at some point. Um, so I think if he takes four or five sacks in this game, uh, he's going to have to play spectacular otherwise. And then my other concern, I think, from you know, the as far as Burrow replicating what he's been doing, the Chiefs' defense under Spags, Sam under Spags, always other than the first four, five, six weeks of the season. They always pretty do a pretty good job of just making life difficult on passes beyond the sticks, those 10-plus yard throws. They're, all, they're up to sixth best, the Chiefs, in completion percentage on 10-plus yard throws, 45% this season. That's Burrow's sweet spot. He's number one graded on 10-plus yard throws this year. And so that's a strength against strength, right? And this is what made the Chiefs dangerous last year defensively. They weren't the best defense in the league. They just made offenses earn it. And I think of all the things the Chiefs have done since earlier in the year, it's just changed to make offenses earn it. So can Burrow do it? Sure. He's got the horses offensively as far as T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. But I do think he'll be under pressure. And I do think those 10-plus yard throws where Burrow's you know, made his money this year, they're going to be more challenging than what we've seen. So I think those things are kind of working against the Bengals. And I do think uh, the Chiefs defense is going to be a huge factor in this one. The Chiefs defense are really good at stopping wide receivers. Like they funnel everything inside. So if you're going to beat right. them in the pass game, it's going to need to be a big game from, you know, Uzama or maybe Tyler Boyd inside in the slot is the guy that has a huge game. Or maybe even, you know, Jamar Chase spends most of his time inside in the slot. And that's, you're going to have to win this game over the middle, not necessarily outside the numbers where a lot of their passing su- success has been. And, you know, when you funnel those guys over the middle, you're asking a quarterback to sort of play in a more dangerous area of the field, potentially taking a little bit longer to navigate everything. And again, just buying time for that pass rush to get there and cause some problems. On the other side, Patrick Mahomes, the offense, they heating up a little bit. Look, the um, the uh, the analytics nerds here, Sam, our friends, uh, they would say the Chiefs never left. Right, they would say if you look at the season, there's a lot of advanced metrics. Whether it's EPA, points per drive, uh, there's a lot of things that said total body of work. The Chiefs' offense never had an issue. Uh, there was a clear issue in the middle of the season, right, where uh, they just weren't putting points on the board unless they were playing the Raiders. Have they completely figured it out, or do we continue to come back to well, you know, teams haven't truly gone back to those too high game plans? And you know, we've seen elements of it, but to me, it looks like the Chiefs' offense just looks a lot better than they did during that midseason slump. My question at that time was not like, has Mahomes regressed? Is the, are the Chiefs done? Are they cooked? Is the dynasty over? It's not the complete overreaction, but it's like they need to adjust. They need to have adjustments. They need to play a more patient brand of football. I think they're doing a better job of that. And again, last week they did it without Tyreek Hill on the field for a bunch of the time. They did it without Travis Kelsey. You saw Byron Pringle and Mecole Hardman step up. I would actually argue the Chiefs are maybe more dangerous now because I've always thought Pringle and Hardman are capable as threes and fours behind Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And what we saw last week with the ability of those guys to create big plays and Mahomes able to take the underneath stuff, maybe the Chiefs are more dangerous than ever once they get the full cast back and uh, Mahomes feeling more comfortable now than he did middle of the season. Yeah, remember, like, the biggest issue with this offense was always turnovers. And they were turning the ball over at an insane rate. And a lot of people for a while were making the point that, you know, nothing is actually wrong. They're still moving the ball as well as anybody. They're scoring a lot. The issue is they are turning it over at a freakish rate. And at some point, you know, and a lot of those turnovers were sort of 
weird, right? It was Mahomes throwing the ball, hitting his receiver in the hands, which was somehow becoming an interception, those kinds of things. So the argument was at some point that will regress. It will go back to normal. And when that happens, the offense is immediately one of the best in the NFL again. Um, But I think that was kind of overlooking a little bit that teams were forcing them into uncomfortable situations. And the uncomfortable situations were forcing some of those mistakes. Like they were mistakes that were happening because everybody was tightening up and sort of feeling more um, under pressure and, and creating those issues. Now, I don't know if they fixed that or if the fact that they simply haven't been put in uncomfortable situations by a couple of teams has fixed it. But either way, like, I think there is a decent chance that that is no longer a significant issue. And if that is true, the Chiefs offense is back to being one of the best in the NFL. Maybe it's not as good as the last couple of years, but they are the number one um, scoring offense in the NFL in terms of uh, percentage of drives since, you know, over the last sort of four or five weeks, they are, like, they're scary again. And when you consider that the defense might be the best they've had since Mahomes has been there, that makes this off, that, like, that makes the Chiefs generally, you know, good value for the number one seed in the AFC and probably as, as much a Super Bowl favorite as anybody. I'm torn on the game plan here for the Bengals, Sam, because I thought last week we said, hey, it's got to be a Burrow game, right? You're going up against the Ravens and their fourth, fifth, sixth string defensive backs. Do you put the ball in Burrow's hands again? Because last week it certainly paid off over 500 yards, and boy, did they just look explosive offensively with all of their playmakers. Do you put it in Burrow's hands again, or do you say, look, if you can – if Kansas City can be had, you could still run on them. That's always been, that's been the Bengals' identity all season. A lot of games where Burrow hasn't had to drop back a ton. They've relied on Joe Mixon in the run game. Where are you going in this one as far as strategically for this Bengals' offense? I don't know if you could put the ball in Burrow's hands 50 times again and have that same success like you did last week. Yeah, I mean, I don't think generally – I don't think most teams should go out with the intention of throwing the ball 50 times. I think usually that speaks to a uh, a game flow that isn't necessarily in your favor. But I do think that the Bengals should learn from last week that Joe Burrow is the thing that makes this offense good. And the more we can help him succeed, the better. And a lot of that is passing the ball on first down. You know, So then instead of running it, for four yards on average, you're passing it for seven, eight yards on average, and you're giving him more uh, manageable third down situations, which is ultimately what this comes down to. Like, Burrow's life is made easier on third downs the more you pass on first down. And it's not that um, it's not that every first down is going to be a completed pass for seven-plus yards, but on average, they will end up with that. And when you incomplete on first down, you're probably passing it on second down, which, again is averaging seven-plus yards per attempt, and then you're still in third. Like, just passing the ball on first down generally is almost is, is leading to better third-down situations almost across the board, regardless of how it pans out. So the Bengals pivoting away from having one of the most run-heavy first-down approaches in the NFL towards letting Burrow do some of that lifting, I think, is, is good. That doesn't mean, you know, you want to be passing the ball 55 times this game. All right, man. Uh, Cincinnati getting five points on the road here. I'm sorry. At home. Keep keep screwing me up here. Looking at the document. At home. The home underdog. Cincinnati Bengals. Thanks. Thanks for rewriting it. Look at that. Cincinnati's at home in our documentation now. Uh, where are you going with this one? 
Uh, I, I just think that that Kansas City defense and the pass rush in particular is enough to cause that Bengals offense to kind of come back down to earth. And I think, I think the Chiefs probably roll. <sighs> I'm, I'm doing the same thing. You know, and then there's, a, there's like this an emotional aspect of it too. Like every time we started to really believe in the Bengals this year, there was like that disappointment, right? They, they haven't been able to sustain it week after week, especially after big uh, signature wins, whether it's, you know, Jets loss or a heartbreaker to the 49ers. So give me the Chiefs to, uh, to win and cover the five here. Completely buying into the Chiefs being the team in the AFC once again. All right, another great game is uh, Minnesota Vikings at the Green Bay Packers. Uh, but first, want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, Sam? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know on your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that help you that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast. To celebrate football's favorite Sunday, we'll cover your catering for up to $2,500. Coordinate your order with a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. That's the day of that uh, the big game, as they call it. And don't forget, check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash askchris. That's Chris, C-R-I-S. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. As I mentioned, Chris will be there. Sunday Night Football, Minnesota Vikings at the Green Bay Packers. Packers favored by six and a half. Vikings won the first matchup. Both teams putting up over 30 points. Pretty good back and forth battle. Can the Vikings pull off the upset again here, Sam? It seems unlikely, right? Like, it, it didn't seem particularly likely they would win the last one. Um, obviously, judging by the point spread, like, Vegas, the the man in Vegas is not buying that either. Like, they're not oh, buying man. a repeat. I think, you know, Green Bay is arguably the best team in the NFL right now. They've been so impressive in terms of weathering setbacks and injuries and not having some of their best players. Um, we keep inching closer and closer to those guys coming back. You know, multiple of those stars, Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari, they're, they're at practice. At some point, they're going to be playing. Maybe they're taking the approach that we um, advocated for Dallas and Tyron Smith of just, like, like make sure those guys are healthy before we're risking them out there. Um, but at some point, they're getting those guys back. And with you add that to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and all the guys, Rashawn Gary, that they have playing so well. This is a really, really good team. And, you know, Minnesota isn't, right? They're not a bad team, but they're not at that same kind of level. They just don't have as many horses as Green Bay does in terms of quality players that can really help them elevate and, and win a game. They need you know, like a monster performance from one or two guys to, to, to win this. How about just the basic narrative stuff here? You've got uh, Kirk Cousins on primetime. You've got Green Bay, you know, at Lambeau in December. Uh, I mean, it's in January, but, you know, December, January, it's the same thing here. Uh, yeah, how, can the, how can the Vikings even overcome that? Kirk Cousins on primetime and Aaron Rodgers is hot right now playing great football and it's in Green Bay. Uh, I think it's going to be really tough for the Vikings. Adam Thielen officially out for the season, too, with ankle surgery. I do think the 
the Vikings offense when I mean this is this is Captain Obvious stuff here, but they're a lot better when they have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen as their one-two punch. Uh, puts a little bit more pressure on Justin Jefferson. I, I do think, you know, I think to your point, Dalvin Cook should be back, right? So Dalvin and Justin Jefferson, they, they're going to need a special game from those guys. Um, Dalvin, Dalvin did have uh, a special game last year in Green Bay. You know, one of the you know, screen passes for huge yards and, and, and on the ground. A lot of a lot of those types of plays, uh, just explosive plays. I mean, that's what Minnesota's going to have to create. And look, I think Minnesota's defense far better now than they were earlier in the season. Can they at least make it a little bit difficult for Green Bay's offense? And then you always mention, Sam, right? The, the Packers' offense with Rivers and LaFleur, it's not every single week, but they, have, they do have a lot of games where they just get 21 points quickly or they get a few touchdowns quickly, and then they stall. And... If Minnesota can if, if Minnesota can handle that early onslaught and then be a part of the stall, so to speak, and and stay aggressive with Kirk and with Dalvin and, and Justin Jefferson, maybe that's their best play, right? Uh, not that that's a strategic thing, which is like, hey, just stop the Packers, but they, they the Packers offense does kind of hit this lull, and I'll see if you know if Minnesota can slow that down a little bit, maybe they do have a chance. But yeah, six and a half, I think the man in Vegas is certainly saying this is this is Green Bay, their time, and they're going to clinch the number one seed on Sunday night if they win this thing. Yeah, um, it, it is interesting. that The Vikings' defense, like it just doesn't have the talent that it used to have. And you can see you know, Mike Zimmer, the whole Vikings organization generally right now is under a lot of pressure. They're taking heat. They're, you know, there are talks about who remains next year, who should, who should be kicked to the curb, who should be fired, start over, all this kind of stuff. Um, you can sort of see that Mike Zimmer still has uh, coaching chops. Like Minnesota on the year is 18th in terms of successful play rate allowed on de- on defense, right? So it, it's that's a different yard yardage sort of figure depending on what the down and distance is. You know, first and ten, a successful play is is six yards, right? Uh, a successful play on third down is just converting it, picking up the first down, regardless of how many yards it is. It could be one yard, and you're good. So they're, they're 18th overall, but when you look at um, third downs, they jump up significantly. And this has been the story for the Vikings under Mike Zimmer basically all the time. They do a much better job on third down or you know in key situations. They just don't have the talent to keep, to keep them away the rest of the time. So they go all the way up to fourth, unsuccessful play rate on on third down um but they just get blitzed on first down and second down and even they can't hold on fourth down all the time because a lot of those are short yardage where you just need the bodies up front to be able to stop it so like mike zimmer and this defense still have the ability to scheme things up but they don't have just the the players to be able to combat a team like green bay you know down after down drive after drive by the way, apparently I've been leading the people astray both uh, verbally here on the podcast and through Twitter and uh, saying it's been a Week 16 preview. And it's once again, it's it's the second to last week of the season. And in my head, it's still Week 16. It's, you know, it, I'm still getting used to this whole thing. I was uh, I was unclear as to which week we were previewing yesterday when I was... Uh... I was, yeah. I was hoping it would, I would I'd just say Week 16 and we'd show all last week's footage and we'd be done. Uh, Aaron Rodgers... Uh, always saying stuff, but on the Pat McAfee show, talking about uh, retirement, potentially. Uh, it's on the table. Everything's on the table. It feels like he's just trolling again. 
it seems like Roger's having a good time. Him and Matt LaFleur are buddies again, and Gutenkoos, they're all buddies in uh, in Green Bay. I think a year after a year of, uh, I don't know if turmoil is too strong, but a lot of drama and trade rumors and all that stuff, it seems like a lot of the fences have been mended in Green Bay, and that Aaron Rodgers would love to go back to the Packers. The guy that was holding the Packers down or holding Aaron Rodgers coming back down was Jordan Love. We saw him in one game and uh, I don't think the Packers are like rushing to get Jordan Love back on the field. I don't know. I think Aaron Rodgers just kind of trolling a little bit and he's going to be back. Do you think there's a chance that this is the end of his run here? The only thing I think he said that was interesting in those terms was that I mean, if this is true and like who the hell knows what he says in terms of truth or, or not, but he essentially said that he wants to go out on top. Like he doesn't want to drag it out and have those, like have that crappy year at the end where the decision is basically made for you. And, you know, people were sort of drawn parallels and said, well, this is like a shot at Brett Favre, ironically, as he's teasing retirement for like the third time in the last X number of months, a proper, like a, a play straight from the Brett Favre playbook. But you know, Brett Favre had that incredible 2009 year, and then it all fell apart, everything. In 2010, it was a disaster, and that was like, okay, decision made. You're out of here. Bye-bye. You know, you're done now. Um, whether or not you want to come back, like it's over. This season says that. Rodgers doesn't want that year. So where, where it gets interesting is I would say he's probably coming back anyway. He's playing too well right now. And it, it does become tricky, though. When you're playing this well, how do you see that year coming? Right, like Brett Favre's 20, 2009 was arguably the best year of his career, and then the next year it was over, it was done. Um, Peyton Manning went from like phenomenal, again the best years of his career in Denver to all of a sudden, uh oh, arms gone, bye bye, game over. Um, okay, he you know won at the end of that. They dragged that was, him to a Super Bowl, but right. yeah, he certainly wasn't playing well. But like in terms of his ability, it was over at that point already. Um, so I don't know if you're Aaron Rodgers, how you anticipate that coming and how you get out ahead of it, but it does make it more or less likely, I think, that you bounce when you're playing this well, unless you get that Super Bowl at the end of it and you get to go out the John Elway way or the Peyton Manning way and, you know, with the Lombardi trophy in your hands and you just get to be like, right, I'm out. See ya. That's my second Super Bowl. That's the legacy, you know, written. Like, he's not... If if winning, you know, massive number of championships is important to him, he's probably not getting there. You know what I mean? Like Brady has ruined that for everybody. Brady's sitting there with seven or whatever. Even if Rodgers wins this year, he's at two. Like, what does he think? He's got another five in him over the next few years? Like, that's just not, it's not realistic, right? So he's pro- that's not that's not a reason to hang around. Two is what sort of transcends you from you know the normal quarterbacks with a legacy to the guys that can go yeah okay like Peyton Manning there was some sort of validation that Peyton finally got a second ring right and we could we could sort of ignore a little bit some of the talk that had cropped up about how he couldn't win more like all that kind of rubbish right so Rogers getting a second one I think would be significant but beyond that I don't think there's anything more for him to achieve he'd already go down as one of the best quarterbacks of all time he's already rich as hell you know all these things I I could see him walking off into the sunset if Green Bay wins this year yeah to me that it's all about how the season ends right I mean a lot of the drama happened this offseason because of how the season ended they lose in the NFC championship for the second straight year uh, with a little bit of drama, they didn't go for it on fourth and eight, kicked a field goal, never got the ball back. So I think it's going to really depend on what happens in the playoffs. But if 
Uh, we're going to say this about a couple other quarterbacks here, but is this this could actually be his last game at Lambeau at home? Of course, they're going to be at home. Uh, his last game at Lambeau during the regular season. Um, of course, he'll be uh, you know at home in the playoffs and all that. But uh, I think he's I think he's teasing a little bit and uh, that he's feeling pretty good about coming back, regardless of what happens. But uh, I do think that the Super Bowl would uh, potentially lead to. Uh, to retirement for Aaron Rodgers. He is playing got, some of his best football. Starbucks delivery service. Oh, look, at this. I got, look at this. Hot hot coffee, black, no sugar. Co- coffee delivery. The IPFF uh, gang. <laughs> Dad makes it back to the podcast here. Yeah, that's it. Once a year. The tree looks better than last yeah. year. It's not as it's Oh, not yeah, tilted. it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. We, all right. We appreciate that. Yeah. Get that. Welcome, all you fans. Sam, you should get some coffee delivery over there. <laughs> Uh, this this is the benefit of being in the parents' basement, by the way. That's it. So Rodgers is playing some of his best football right now. Like earlier in the year, he hadn't been playing at the MVP level that he was a year ago. The last sort of month plus, he's at that kind of level. And, and when when Rodgers is playing that well, Green Bay is so hard to beat any year, right? If you, you have a quarterback playing as well as he is, that like that's that's the single biggest step any football team can make. And I think that's a huge thing for them. Yeah, Rodgers is hot. He's playing well. Uh, him and Devontae Adams still uncoverable. I think all the you know periphery pieces, peripheral uh, other targets have been great. I think the A.J. Dillon factor is a big one here in December and January. Don't mock me, Sam. It's a different – you got finesse pass game, and then you got the 250-pounder that you have to tackle. It's a complete Packers team. Are they going to cover the six and a half here on Sunday Night Football? Um, no, because Green Bay or Minnesota always plays close games. The other one one-on-one matchup I think that could be really fun in this one is Rashawn Gary, who has emerged as this elite pass rusher with Zadaria Smith on the shelf, going up against Christian Darasaw for the Vikings, their first-round rookie, who's played pretty well. Like has definitely made a material impact to that offensive line at left tackle. You can see the sort of special traits and skills that he has. Now, it doesn't mean he won't get beaten sometimes. Like, there are some reps where he, he, it doesn't work, right? Despite the athleticism and the, the movement skills and the ability to mirror and those kinds of things, he just gets beaten. But that could be a fun matchup. Like, Darisol's played pretty well since coming in there at left tackle. Uh, Rashawn Gary is on a tear, and obviously his calling card coming out of the draft was his freakish physical ability um so a guy with you know almost 70 pressures now going up against darisol will be fun yeah it's a great matchup to watch and i'm going to say it one more time uh this is the game sam this is the game why you trade for kirk cousins a few years ago to win in prime time division battle the playoffs are on the line for the vikings what's that win in lambo in Lambeau. This is, you got to do it. The, the seven and eight Vikings, they're the number eight seed right now. They got to leapfrog either the eight and seven 49ers or the eight and seven Philadelphia Eagles at some point, right? If you're going to make a move, obviously you got to start winning here if you're the Vikings. But uh, I'm not expecting it to happen this week. I'll take Green Bay to win and cover the six and a half. You in that same boat, or do you think Minnesota keeps it closer than that? I think Green Bay wins and Minnesota covers. Got to always keep it that one score game. Remember, Minnesota won by three. In that first matchup, they, and Cousins did do a great job of holding on to the ball and not letting Rodgers have a chance to uh, to come back and lead uh, a fourth quarter comeback in that one. So uh, let's go Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington football team. 
Uh, they played again two weeks ago. This is the NFC East on NFC East end of the season schedule here. The Eagles are favored by three and a half. Washington coming off of that horrible Sunday night game against the Dallas Cowboys. The Eagles, uh, they ran all over Washington a few weeks ago. That's what they do. Washington was COVID ravaged a little bit as far as their roster goes. They were playing on a Tuesday night. Will Philadelphia do it again? Is three and a half enough? I know it's in Washington, but Philly trended in the right direction. Washington trending in the wrong direction. It feels like Philly maybe should be favored by a little bit more. Now that the um, you know the CDC has updated their guidelines and the NFL has agreed with the NFLPA to do likewise, the COVID list is even more chaotic and difficult to navigate than it was beforehand. You know, before if people went on the list, you could pretty much write them off for the next game. Ten days, you're right. done, you're out of here. Now. It's only five days. Anything could happen. And five days is only like assuming you're, you know, you don't have symptoms and you don't actually get hit with the thing for any extended period of time. So we have no idea what anybody's dealing with as far as symptoms, right? Fevers and all that stuff. So Washington, the good news is like everybody already had it. (laughs) They're already back. Um, So they should be fine. Philadelphia, it's a little more complicated. There's a, a few guys on the list, not massive players for them by and large. So this is a relatively covid free game but there's some other games this week where that is a much bigger issue um nick sirianni's all of a sudden getting like coach of the year talk based off the run that they're on and the fact that they're now they've essentially taken washington's spot as being the team that might make the playoffs from uh the nfc east and you know go on a little run and potentially be able to beat some teams and i, I think they're capable of it they they need to have that kind of game plan where they just dominate up front, have a, a really good run game, and Jalen Hurts makes enough throws. Like he he's played reasonably well this year, but there is like a frustrating percentage of plays where he just misses that that shouldn't be there. Um, right. But against Washington, like this defense has been horrific this year. You know they're giving up a ton of uh, success in the pass game in key high leverage situations as well. Like this is a game where Philadelphia's passing game shouldn't have problems and their run game doesn't have problems against pretty much anybody. Do you, do you, I don't think it's crazy that Sirianni's getting some coach of the year discussion. I think somebody at least uh, emailed us about that or whatever it was. Um, you think it's crazy? Yes. Well, cause you're going to blame them for waiting seven weeks to run the ball. Yes. Okay. Which was, like, I wouldn't blame him if it was a case of, like, oh, who knows what this team looks like on offense, you know, blah, blah. Like, you know, new coach coming into a new environment. Like, of course, it's going to take you some time to work out what your personnel is best at. But this could not have been more obvious that this was how this offense should function based off what we saw from Jalen Hurts last year. Like, what if? but what if he's playing the long game here? And it's like, look, I know what we can do. I know that we can run the ball and all that stuff, but we're playing the long game here, and the long game is Jalen Hurts needs to be a better passer. So we're going to actually put more pressure on him earlier in the game, and we're going to pass the ball far more than the game script would maybe even suggest, and we're going to we're gonna get those reps for Jalen Hurts. Then he's even less of a coach of the year candidate because he abandoned that plan halfway through the year. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can. You can just do it for a few games, get the reps in, and then revert back to what you know and try to win and actually win some games. Either he didn't understand what the self-evident fact of what this offense should look like for like half the year before stumbling into it and then dominating, or 
he was trying something galaxy brain and bailed on the idea after halfway through the year. Either way, that is prohibitive in terms of being named coach of the year. Listen, high level they got there. I, I haven't I haven't hit on all of my predictions. Uh, this is the one I feel like uh, I gave a good either or situation here for the Eagles. Either they're in full rebuild mode and they win three or four games and they're terrible, or the run game raises their floor as it has, and they become this 500-ish team, eight and seven, seven and eight type of team, or uh, nine and eight, eight and nine type of team. See, the 17 games still screwing me up. They become this 500-ish type of team, which they are right now. They're sitting there at eight and seven uh, with an opportunity to, uh, to, to sneak into the playoffs. So I think they've gotten there, but I think it's another example. Everybody overrated and overreacted to Sirianni's first press conference where he said basically trust the process in like a really awkward way, and they wanted to write him off as a coach. But I think I think he's gotten there, man. They've tightened up their zone coverage that was really soft earlier in the year. They've, they've reverted to this run game that's averaging over 150 yards a game, and I, I think that does make them scary and dangerous. And, you know, they go through lulls where they don't put up a ton of points because – they can't connect, as you said, from a pass game perspective, but I think they're starting to tap into Jalen Hurts' skill set here, and they're doing a nice job of it. So, uh, Washington, uh, Taylor Heineke was rough last week. It sounds like Kyle Allen's going to play some football. I don't know if it's going to be a Carolina-like 2QB system or what. I think they're trying to roll with Taylor Heineke, but we might see some more Kyle Allen these last couple weeks here for the, for the football team. Great. That's what everybody wants. That's what we need here. Uh, and because of all that, <laughs> and for that reason, I'm out on the football team uh, and I'm in on the Eagles and, and continuing to, to buy into their to their run game and, and all that fun stuff so give me Philadelphia to cover the three and a half where are you going in this one yeah same I think that Washington defense is just kind of checked out at this point like they're getting annihilated there obviously there was fighting on the sidelines whatever you make of that I think it's just I, I wouldn't read too much into that other than the fact that these guys are frustrated and it's not getting better. Like, they're, they're just getting beat up. They're getting dominated by everybody, and Philadelphia is rolling in there with this unstoppable offensive line right now. It's hard to see how that Washington defense can stop them, at which point you're now relying on some combination of Taylor Heineke or, or Allen to light them up in the pass game, and that just doesn't feel likely. All right, Sam, this is a big one. Monday Night Football, Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Browns are favored by three here. And Big Ben has come out and said this could be it for him at Heinz Field. Could be his last regular season game at Heinz Field. Could be his last overall game if the Steelers don't make the playoffs. Steelers, of course, have a chance to make the playoffs if they win this week and next week against the Browns and against the Ravens. But... This could be the end of the road here. Big Ben, he's been the starting quarterback since 2004. That was our year. He's our draft class, Sam. That's when we graduated college, right? 2004. I mean, I was scheduled to. I actually graduated in 05. But, you know, it was the 04 draft class, right? I took What? I took an extra half year. Yeah. On purpose. On purpose. Uh, what are you looking for in this one? And is Big Ben saying, that's it, I'm retiring? Or I'm going to go save another franchise. I got more in me. How uh, how delusional is Big Ben at this point in his career? Big Ben absolutely understands where he is at this point in his career. Like I, <laughs> we said it last week, right? If he wasn't sure, sitting on the sideline watching what Patrick Mahomes was doing should have given him every indication of what he needed to know. That like, oh, we are like whatever I was capable of back in the day. Like I'm just not playing the same sport as these other guys right now. Like I am this immobile statue that can't make half the throws needed and has no offensive line and like no 
Roethlisberger 100% understands that, like, this is it. The time is done. And, you know, let's try and end the season on a high note. <laughs> but he's probably expecting it to just sort of muddle his way through and then just, just head on off into the sunset. And, you know, it's been a great career for him. But these last couple of years have been pretty tough to watch, particularly because, you know, I think he's understood the limitations. And it's another situation where, like, you know, Rivers went through some of this, and when you get these quarterbacks that hit the end of their career, it the, the what they need around them changes. You know, so whatever. Like Philip Rivers, for basically his entire career, was dealing with zero offensive line, but towards the end of his career, he needed it. He needed some protection. That's why he went to Indianapolis, and he had this sort of relative bounce back year for him. But you know, it was was fine. Roethlisberger in the last couple of years has needed more help than he's had earlier in his career, and it's coincided with that offensive line falling to pieces and with his receiving core, you know, being in flux. It's not like it's bad right now, but it just hasn't been the group that he needed around him. And just the whole thing has kind of soured, and I think he uh, he sort of unfairly takes all the blame for that. It's like, well, Roethlisberger is just playing badly now. Case closed. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's true, he is playing badly, but on the other hand, he doesn't have an offensive line or a running game or, you know, the receivers The receivers are talented, but they all have a tendency to kind of let him down in key spots, you know what I mean? Like Deontay Johnson right. either drops the ball or does something silly or Chase Claypool causes problems, you know, has to be benched and James Washington keeps dropping key passes and like all these kinds of things. It's a talented group, but it's not like they've massively elevated his play. So you end up in this situation where, yeah, this is probably, this is probably his goodbye. Yeah, I think this is. I mean, I'm assuming it's more retirement rather than I'm going to go like save the Broncos or anything like that. But, but who knows? Um, yeah, I think I think all your points are valid, right? I mean, we spent a lot of the offseason saying I don't think the Steelers did enough. Yeah, they have a pretty nice group of playmakers. To your point too, that's like. They do seem to drop the ball at the wrong time. They're good overall. Yeah. Uh, special skill sets of Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and Pat, Fr- Pat Fryermuth. I mean, they're, they're, they're a good group. Um, so, yeah, we'll spend a lot of time this offseason talking about what the Steelers are probably going to do at quarterback. Uh, the, the other thing that I repeat over and over, it's, it's, this is another one of those quarterbacks. I think for about 10 to 15 years, you could say, who are the top eight quarterbacks in the league? And it was pretty well-defined. Big Ben was one of those guys. It led to two Super Bowl championships. I think Philip Rivers was one of those guys. Drew Brees was one of those guys. So all, they're starting to they're starting to move out. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers potentially moving on. Uh, Tom Brady will retire at some point. So it is, even though Big Ben hasn't been a good quarterback in the NFL for for at least three years now, three or four years, it is kind of this like okay, old old guys out, new guys are coming in. Who's this new you know who's this new group of quarterbacks for us to? Uh, really isolate as like the best in the league and I think it's I think it's wide open I think just this further uh, emphasizes that so uh, all that said the Steelers are 7-7-1 and and they're in the AFC North so anything is possible they could beat the last place Browns the Browns are way back behind them at 7-8 and uh, Ravens are 8-7 and and of course the Bengals are 9-6 and so everything is still on the table as far as including winning, winning the, the division, division and all that fun stuff 
Yeah. Like, that's the insane thing. We're, we're writing Big Ben's eulogy and saying this is just like the last goodbye for the Steelers, you know, under this regime uh, or under this sort of stewardship of, of Roethlisberger. They can still win the division. They yeah. won't because they would need to win out. Cincinnati would need to lose out. Like, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's possible. Um, I do think that, like, this is the game where this idea of Mike Tomlin just consistently dragging this side to things greater than it should be capable of. Like, they're 7-7-1. Seven, seven, and one. They probably shouldn't be. Um, like, Cleveland, I think, is a better team, but Cleveland's offensive line is banged up. They've got guys on the COVID list as well. And Pittsburgh's, like, the one strength of that team still is that T.J. Watt can get after people, and Cameron Hayward is still a dominant defensive lineman. Like, they can get pressure. Okay, they haven't done it to anything like the same degree as they did a year ago. Like, they were by far the number one team in the NFL in terms of pressure rate last season. This year, they're, like, middle of the pack. They're not even particularly good, I think. They're 18th, so they're below average in terms of pressure rate, having been the most pressure-happy team in the NFL. But T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward on their own against banged-up offensive linemen is potentially an equalizer. We we fall into this trap as well, right? Um, when we talked about the Bengals all offseason, it, it seemed to only be about their offense because that's kind of where the storylines were. I think we did the same thing with the Steelers. To me, as big of a storyline for the Pittsburgh Steelers is the secondary falling apart, right? They didn't replace Steven Nelson. They didn't replace Mike Hilton with with the right guys. Uh, put more pressure on Cam Sutton, right? They tried to uh, you know trade for Arkella Witherspoon and squeeze a James Pierre in there. You know, expect expect Joe Hayden to play like a cornerback one. And even though he saved the game a couple weeks ago, I mean, he's been a good, solid player. He hasn't been a great player for for a long time. To me, the Steelers having the number, the seventh worst coverage grade in the NFL this year is as detrimental to anything that they did on the offensive side. Maybe not getting the offensive line in order and uh, not putting the pieces around Big Ben to truly succeed and drafting a first-round running back and all that stuff. So um, I think I think the, the Steelers' overhaul is far more than the quarterback position. It's even more than the offensive line. They have an entire back seven to figure out going forward. I think that's... Uh, a big part of all the issues. I think that's why the, the Browns are a better team, even with all their injuries and everything. I, I in this particular game, though, I'm going to side with the the future Hall of Fame quarterback. Do you know touchy feely in Pittsburgh, making plays on Monday Night Football, right? Like there's there's going to be some emotional aspect of it. I think that that uh, elevates Ben and the Steelers, and you know as three point underdogs at home, give me uh, give me the Steelers in this one. Yeah, I think. That defense and their pass rush could neutralize things a little bit. I also think that, like, Miles Garrett, probably the best player in this game, period. Um, but Miles Garrett gets his effectiveness gets diminished because the Steelers get rid of the ball quicker than anybody else in the NFL. Like, right. Roethlisberger is getting the ball out of his hands like 2.2 seconds on average every game. That's just not enough time for Miles Garrett to get home, even if he's winning cleanly. Like, it, getting. Getting to the quarterback in two seconds is a hell of an achievement. And if Roethlisberger is averaging a hair over that every single play, like Garrett literally just doesn't have enough time to work and to get pressure. Even if he's winning every single snap, he's not going to get there most of the time. So, you know, Pittsburgh's elite pass rushers could have an impact. I'm not sure that Cleveland's can. And another opportunity for Mayfield to save his job. I don't think he needs to save it. I think he's getting 
they're going to play out next year anyway, unless something insane drops into their lap. You think so? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't see the alternative options for them. Like, unless, unless Russell Wilson or whatever stumbles into their, into their acquisition path, they're, I don't think they're going to draft one in the first round. So you have a fifth-year option already picked up on Baker Mayfield anyway. You're already committed, like, a decent chunk of change to him for next year. I would imagine almost inevitably they play out Baker Mayfield's fifth year, see where we are, like see what he is next year without the shoulder injury and everything else he's going through. And then at that point, like maybe they even do the Kirk Cousins thing and they franchise him for one more year of figuring out if he's the guy or not. But I think they're I think Baker Mayfield is inevitably the quarterback of this team next year and maybe even for another year. It does feel like Baker has played himself into that cousinsy type of one more year, one more year. Give me a little bit more because, you know, last year, a lot of weather games you wanted to throw out didn't count. This year they don't count because the whole left side is decapitated. So uh, maybe next year we'll get some true Baker Mayfield data points here, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, are you taking Cleveland or Pitt here in this game? Cleveland, again, favored by three on Monday Night Football on the road. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Pittsburgh probably covers this. Mike Tomlin factor. Got to get that 500 record, baby. Seven, 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 seven and one right now. Uh, all right, Las Vegas at Indianapolis. The Colts favored by six and a half. Is it staying that high? With uh, is Carson and is Carson Wentz certainly is he definitely out here on Sunday? There's been he's on the COVID list. Philip Rivers has been called. Sam Ellinger's probably getting the call here. A lot of moving parts here for the Colts. Right, but that was all pre um, pre shift to this, the five day to the five day thing. So Wentz went on the list on December the 28th. Uh, does that, what does that put him out at? 29, 30, 31, 1, 2, right at 5. Right at 5. So he could potentially get back? It depends. Like, did he have the test at like 9 a.m.? And if he has the test again at 9 a.m. On, on January 2nd, then he's good because it's exactly five days. COVID needs to get the hell out of here because this is just too complicated. Anybody have some CDC guidelines handy over here? Can't. So the line jumped all the way out to um, to favoring Indy by – or it was jumped all the way back to favoring Indy by only a couple, but it's now sort of swung back to uh, a significant edge in their favor, which suggests to me that maybe they're expecting – Thinks Wentz. Wentz will play? So the interesting thing about Sam Ellinger – he was he was like a Tebow-esque, you know, good running quarterback in the design run game, kind of an awkward passer, but, you know, a winner at Texas, you know, kind of elevated his teammates and always always seemed to do a little bit better than expected. So just that's, that's my, my scouting report on Ellinger. If they do play him, it's, it's probably heavy Jonathan Taylor. It's heavy run pass option. It's heavy zone read. It's relying on that really good Colts offensive line. I'm not saying it's going to work perfectly in their favor, but I think they could have some success with Sam Ellinger under center. Now he's a rookie quarterback and late rounder, but I think the Colts are, are built to be able to do some damage with, with Ellinger under center if, if he's the guy. All that said, they called high school coach Philip Rivers just to, uh, you know, see if he's around the news is sort of it's still up in the air like Wentz is not ruled out he is he is eligible to play if he clears protocols um but equally they're getting Ellinger ready to play if he needs to so but as I say the Vegas line seems to indicate that there's a decent shot that Wentz is the quarterback here 
last week we had uh, Colts play a really nice game against the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about it on the on the review show on Monday. Wentz was okay. He was okay. And he comes up with just a couple really nice big-time throws and uh, huge plays in that game. Again, the Colts offense, they've impressed me this year. Jonathan Taylor running, you know, not, not just taking what the line's given, but above expectation, all the numbers pointing to, you know, Taylor and his big playability being a huge asset there. Michael Pittman's emergence. Uh, Colts will get Darius Leonard back off the COVID list as well. And, uh, they've done a really nice job kind of uh, tightening up their coverage unit that was disappointing early in the season. And so, yeah, I really like the way the, the Colts are trending in this one. Yeah, and again, with the with the Raiders, their big problem is that offense, which has just not been right since they lost You know, their biggest playmakers or their biggest threats. Um, Waller, <laughs> Waller landed on the COVID list as well. So, like, he's... He's probably, I think he's out at this point, given how recently that was. But again, like, they're just, they don't have the horses anymore on offense. They don't have the ability, the playmakers, to get it done. Derek Carr isn't able to carry this thing all by himself, at least not for, you know, an entire game. He can make some incredible throws to guys like Hunter Renfro um, or Brian Edwards or whatever. But against a team like the Colts, I just don't think they have the firepower to hang with them if Indy is able to have a quarterback that you know doesn't derail the whole thing <sighs> Derek Carr discourse always leads to uh man I, I I think I had a tweet that put that said something about Derek Carr just I, I don't even remember what it was having open receivers or something like that and my mentions just blew up with arguments over is Derek Carr good is he not good what is he and all that stuff and uh, that's that's my litmus test Sam he's there's your mid-tier quarterback if you can have non-stop heated debate over if this guy's good is he a franchise guy is the guy you want to build around is he not he's your mid-tier quarterback and I, th- I think Derek Carr look I know he hasn't had Darren Waller and I know he you know, hasn't had all of his you know, lost Henry Ruggs it was lost his head coach a lot of bad stuff has happened so far this year but that's kind of been the story of Carr's career right like even if you look at it like a high level he was on his way and then they got rid of Amari Cooper kind of lost that number one wide receiver connection, tapered off for a couple of years, made it back up, like really improved under Gruden and his system for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden it's all taken away from him this year. It's tough to gauge Derek Carr, but it's another one of those uh, in a QB-driven league with the playoffs on the line here. Are we going to see Derek Carr, 8-7 and seven Raiders, they're the number 10 seed, but they've got, they're in, they're in the mix as just like anyone else here. If they can win their last two games and get some help, they can get into the playoffs and is, is Derek Carr going to have a special couple weeks that, that are memorable where he's putting the team on his back? Because he has to, I think, because of the injuries in the offensive line and some of the other stuff they've dealt with over there. I just don't think he has enough help. Like, it's been week 10 against the Chiefs was the last time he scored multiple passing touchdowns. Like, he threw multiple passing touchdowns. He just hasn't had... The, he just hasn't had the receivers to get to have that high-octane passing attack that he had earlier in the year. He still, I think, is either one or two in terms of big-time throws in the NFL, but most of them came in the first half of the year. Like, they were early. again, yeah. he's only had he had a run of two big-time throws in consecutive games, but hasn't had more than one in the last three straight weeks. Like, he just it's just not there. He just doesn't have enough help around him. Um, and I think he's on, he's another one of these quarterbacks that's kind of been unfortunate this year, where the things that were enabling him to play at a really high level have all just kind of evaporated around him. And he's not good enough 
to overcome that. And I don't think that's necessarily a massive indictment in him. And I'm not sure there are many quarterbacks that would be good enough to overcome that. But like that's the reality here. That's where we are. Indy, everything is cooking. The ground game is dominant. Jonathan Taylor looks amazing. Carson Wentz is sitting at the helm of a team that's moving in the right direction, assuming he plays. The Raiders, they're just not in the same bucket. The Raiders are another one of those teams that feels like they're getting to like what they should be uh, after after starting out really good, starting out five and two. Their back is a five hundred ish type of team, which I think is probably what they looked like coming into the year. Their defense was a massive question mark. They had the number one pass rush grade in the NFL for a while. Now they're down to number five. They haven't had a pass rush grade as a team in a game over sixty three or over sixty four since week 10 against Kansas City in that game where they got torched. It just feels like the Raiders are kind of, look, I know, again, injuries and all these other things that happen, but they've just kind of settled into maybe what we thought they were coming into the season. Um, we're using six and a half as the spread here. I would say if Wentz is playing, I think either way, I think the Raiders can keep this thing close. But again, I don't like the way they're trending, and I really like the way the Colts uh, are coming together as they head into the playoffs. I'm tempted by the Colts, but six and a half feels like a lot with Wentz or not. So give me give me Vegas here. The line has been as far as eight and a half for Indy, and it's been as close as, I think, two and a half um, when there was like massive uncertainty over Wentz. Uh, I th- yeah, I think Indy wins and rolls and covers the line. They might even do it with Ellinger, a quarterback, unless he does something catastrophic. Um yeah, I didn't say anything nice about the Raiders other than that they will keep it close in this game. I think Carr steps up and keep, helps, helps keep it close here in the Dome. Max Crosby still leads the NFL in total pressures this year with 87, but all of a sudden, Aaron Donald is, is Aaron Donald's closing the gap. He's only six behind with two games to go. He'd need a beast of a game, but it's possible. I like it. It's a battle. I love that. Max Crosby versus Aaron Donald. Unfair fight. Donald's playing on the, on the interior, but, you know. That's what Aaron Donald does. He's special. All right, so you're taking Indy in this one. Uh, we're using six and a half here for this show. Uh, Miami Dolphins at the Tennessee Titans. we got to go quick hitting for the rest of this show here, Sam. There are still some good games. There's some, some lesser games as well. This is one of the better ones, though. Miami with their massive win streak. But I think these are maybe are these their two biggest tests. They had Baltimore toward the beginning of the streak. But they got Tennessee. Uh, they're going to Tennessee, and then they host the New England Patriots these last two weeks with their playoff hopes on the line here. So what are you looking for? Miami getting three and a half here at the Titans. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the first real test they've had since the Baltimore game, right? Like when you look at the run that they've been on and people pull up the quarterbacks, but if you just look at the teams as well, Houston, Baltimore, the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, and the the Jets and the Saints. And the Saints, remember, with Ian Book at quarterback. So... Like, this is not a formidable run of teams that they've beaten. And again, this is like Brian Flores, coach of the year. No. Like, A, don't lose seven straight games to begin with. And B, your win, your your streak to get back into playoff contention is against some pretty terrible teams in the Ravens. Really quick. And I I heard the rants on the show yesterday. I think all valid. My big issue with, like, the the end-of-the-year voting stuff is weeks one through eight do count. That did happen this season. Thank you. It, like, it all matters. Like, Aaron Rodgers' week one game against the Saints did happen this year, even though he's been great 
since that point, it still happened. Like, it's still part of the equation. Yeah, it's, okay, the, it's the Andrew Luck firefighter thing, right? Like, you can't get more credit for putting out the fire that you started in the first place, right? Like, don't start the fire, and you don't have to go playing hero at the end of it. Now, to be fair, people that were asking me about him for coach of the year were sort of saying if they win their next two games and make the playoffs, right? Which, which I think does add a layer of legitimacy to this thing that isn't there right now. Like, if they do knock off Tennessee on the road, that is, I think, the single most impressive win they've had on this win streak. If they then beat the Patriots in Week 18, the final game of the season, that would, again, be impressive. So, like, the, the bottom line, though, is that this is the biggest test that they've had probably in the entire run of wins, and certainly since the Baltimore game back in Week 10. The Titans have a pretty good defense and will cause some problems for Tua and that offense. And then, you know, the question becomes, what is Miami's defense able to do against a quarterback and a a team that has some ability? Like, you know, Ian Book, the the Zach Wilson Jets, the New York Giants, the like the pat like this has been the wretched run of quarterbacks. So of course the defenses look suffocating and dominant. What does that look like against a team like Tennessee, who if they have A.J. Brown out there and Ryan Tannehill, and they've been able to run the ball well even without Derrick Henry. Like, that is an offense that can cause you some issues. We've had a lot of questions about Tua and uh, his grade maybe not matching what uh, Dolphins fans' uh, perception is of of Tua. Um, I think as of a couple weeks ago, he was grading pretty well. He did not play well against the Jets despite winning 31-24. Didn't really play all that great against the Saints the other night, again, despite the win. I think my my biggest question mark when you look back at Tua's season, we don't we don't necessarily adjust for competition, right? With our grading, you just kind of go back and add some context to it. It, it kind of gets it gets baked in if you're separating stats and the grades. It's kind of it's in there. But when I go back and see the highest grades of Tua's season, four really good grades uh, as far as game grades go against the Giants, Falcons, Jaguars, and Jets. I mean, four of the very worst defenses in the NFL, and every other defense that he faced, uh, much lesser grades. And that's one of my concerns, I think, both looking back, but also looking forward as far as Tua goes. Nice article by Doug Kide on the website, talking about Tua and his future and what the, the rest of the league thinks. Um, the other thing I'll say, too, people ask a lot of times, you know, why do we focus on big-time throws? You know, what about just stats and production and this and that? And why are big-time throws important? Two only has nine, 2.5%, one of the lowest ratios percentages in the league. Big-time throws are important because what you're doing is essentially creating a big play opportunity. Sometimes that's that that's not even there for your team. And then other times just taking advantage of when your guy does get a step down the field or whatever and putting the ball on him and creating a big play opportunity. The ones where you create a big play opportunity that's not normally there, that is what makes great quarterbacks great. That's when you make the the 20-yard back shoulder up and away from coverage that's perfect the the cover two shot that a lot of quarterbacks might not even make but you you just you 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 put the ball on a guy for 25 yards that just creates an opportunity for your team without your receiver doing a a lot so to speak you know what i'm saying so what it does is it it just it takes some pressure on the off off the offense being perfect for eight and ten and twelve play drives and tua has not shown that yet has the offense moved the ball and been efficient and done the rpo stuff and created some offense sure but I still think there's a lot of room to grow. And, and you know, to his grades, good. It's solid. It's fine. But not 
not great and uh, hasn't played great against uh, against good defenses. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think this is a game that kind of turns Miami back into a pumpkin again, and we see how how important that run of opposition was for this like this win streak and this coach of the year conversation. Everything we're talking about with Miami, Tennessee is a different animal to most of the teams they've been playing. All right, so you got Tennessee by uh, three and a half here. Titans fans are Bengals fans this week. If the Bengals can beat the Chiefs and the Titans win this game, all we have is the Titans with you know one game away, essentially, from uh, the number one seed. And again, we know how important the number one seed is, that, that elusive bye in week one. So the Titans would just be one game in Houston away from the number one seed if the Titans can win and the Bengals can win. I think uh, I'll take the tight uh, I'll take the I'll take the Dolphins to keep it close to cover the three and a half. I do think the Titans better team though and they do win this game. Of course, the NFL season, it's winding down. The playoffs will be here before you know it. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, the offers are getting even more amazing. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Don't miss out on this action because if, and if Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still be a part of the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings daily fantasy football contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. It's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Did you... uh, Ryan Tannehill against Miami, by the way. Big storyline there. Revenge game. Did you see that clip uh, about Madden and Summerall when they were talking about how they, they had a bet on yes. how long they, that Summerall could have the pause between murder and she wrote when they were, they yeah. were constantly promoing murder, she wrote the show? That and was there, great. There was one clip that was just absurd. It was like, you know, murder. She wrote. wrote. <laughs> Apparently Madden like, busted his ass laughing so much that he had to take the headset off and leave the booth and just break down in the hallway and then come back in. Well, he said he did it on, like, one of the movies or something, right, that didn't have a comma in the title, so it just didn't fit or something. I don't know. That was was some good stuff. Kind of forget. uh, I watched uh, the Madden Football Life and stuff like that. You kind of forget how funny and just jolly that dude was (laughs) when it came to football. Uh, All right, Los Angeles Rams at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Rams are favored by three and a half here at Baltimore. Lamar Jackson returned to practice, but he could barely walk. So I don't know how valuable that is. And you've got the Rams offense, which is uh, cooking again against, uh, well, they've, they've showed signs of cooking. They had, Stafford wasn't cooking at all last week with turnover-worthy plays. But uh, a capable Rams passing attack against this depleted Ravens secondary. Where are you looking to this game here? Yeah, it, does, it feels like, this is a lot of respect being given to Baltimore in terms of the betting market, given all of the things that you've just outlined. And, you know, the fact that the Rams offense does look like it's it's ready to go and Baltimore has no secondary. And, you know, all these like they just got blown out by the Ravens or by the Bengals rather uh, last week. 
man, like I'm, I'm kind of surprised that there is this much confidence that Baltimore can keep this close because when you look at it kind of top to bottom, it's tough to see how. Sorry, I just got distracted by all our uh, analytics friends searching for all the people who said Big Ben would be good this year. Yeah. It's, it's very important that they uh, tear down those folks with optimism at the beginning of the year and say Big Ben never should have been good. <laughs> That's what's happening. That's what's happening on Twitter right now, New Year's uh, festivities. Yeah, look, I think, I think there is this kind of like, I'm torn on it, right? There is this built-in respect. Hey, they're the Ravens. You know, they've, they've got this... Uh, they have a good coach, and, and we know that they've, you know, they, they've, they have a good team, but they've, they, they're depleted. And at the same time, they had a backup quarterback, you know, one play away from beating the number one team in the NFC two weeks ago in the Packers. So I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this because I do think, you know, the Ravens last week got smoked. Their weaknesses were exploited on the, in the back seven. Bengals move the ball up and down the field at will. I think the Rams have that ability as well. But again, we're two weeks removed from the Ravens, uh, you know, going head to head with the Packers at home. That's well, we're at home this week in Baltimore, at home against the Packers, losing by one and being that one two point conversion away from potentially upsetting the number one seed. So, so I get it. I, I could see that being a close game. Um, quarterback is obviously going to be a huge factor. Josh Johnson got the start last week. We saw Tyler Huntley had a really good game two weeks ago against the Packers and Lamar. I mean, if Lamar's limping like that, you just lose. There's, there's no way he's moving effectively by Sunday, right? I can't imagine he gets out there. And I don't even know if it's good for the team to get him out there uh, unable to move like that. You just you lose a huge part of you know the asset that he brings to the table as, a, as the most dynamic runner in the NFL. I mean, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what, at what degree of immobility does he become a worse option than the other guys they have? Like, what makes... Lamar special is everything he can do with his legs. I mean, he is the best passer of the group as well, but at some point, you know, the other guys that they have are mobile as well and not hampered by, you know, a, a leg injury that has them walking with a pronounced limp. Like, at some point, there, and particularly the way they've been playing recently, like Lamar's, Lamar's not been playing well for a long time. Um, so there has to be a fairly substantial crossover at which point it's better not to have him on the field yeah and uh tyler huntley should return to practice i mean look i i mean if lamar's 75 percent, which looks like a stretch if he's 75 percent, it might not be the right play uh they've 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 created good offense with with tyler huntley and uh mark andrews has proven to be uh, a dominant asset uh, as a receiver no matter who's the quarterback so I don't, you know, if you had a more true, I don't want to use pocket passer, but because I always say Lamar likes to win from the pocket. But again, Lamar is part of the design running game, eight to 10, 12 times a game, plus all of the times he hands it off and he's a threat to run. If you lose that threat, the entire offense changes. And now it's like, okay, Lamar, you're just going to drop back 30, 35 times and just pick pick apart defenses without the advantage of being able to scramble. And now you're sitting duck for Aaron Donald, who's going after the pressure record. Right, he's trying to lead the league in pressures this year. I, I just don't see it happening. I I would expect Tyler Huntley to be out there. I think that gives the Ravens a chance, um, but I, I just think I think their injuries and I, I think everything is just it's just too much. It's just too much for them to handle at this point. Donald has been on an absolute tear recently. In the last month of play, Donald has thirty three total pressures. 
So four games, 33 total pressures, which is more than the entire Atlanta Falcons defense in the same period of time. Incredible. Like, you know, earlier in the year, Donald was having a relative down season for him. But the last month or so, he has been like peak Aaron Donald. And Baltimore does not have the best interior uh, offensive line in the, in the world. Like, again, this is another game where if you're not coming in with a very clear game plan to stop Aaron Donald, you are going to have some major problems. If you're a Rams fan, I think there's uh, you might be a little torn on what to root for. You're battling the Arizona Cardinals for the NFC West crown. You're a game ahead. But you're also battling the Dallas Cowboys for the number two seed. The Cowboys and Cardinals are playing each other. You might be better off actually rooting for the Cardinals to win Drop the Cowboys down, jump up to that number two seed, which might be coveted. You you know you get to face the 49ers or the Eagles rather than maybe the Cardinals in the first round. Maybe you might want to be rooting for the Cardinals here because the Rams already control their own destiny as far as the NFC West goes if they win the last two weeks. But something to keep an eye on in that Cardinals-Cowboys game if you're a Rams fan. But first have to take care of business in Baltimore. I think they'll do it, and I think they'll cover the three and a half. We'll see a bounce-back game in this Stafford coaster here where he looked like elite Stafford a few weeks ago he looked like bad Stafford last week and the Rams still won which I think is a good sign for the Rams going forward but I think I think Stafford bounces back and they pick apart this Ravens team yeah I I I don't I think we're giving too much respect to the Baltimore Ravens at this point like there's a lot to like about that team and how they're run and the John Harbaugh is a fantastic coach and all these things but they are beat up they're not particularly good right now and the Rams look like they are playing something like their best football all right, before we get to one thing to watch and the rest of the slate, two awesome deals that we have here. The first one's Elite Up over at PFF.com. We don't do this often, but Elite Up, you get 50% off PFF Elite for an entire year. So you get the 365 days of access, which is great. And doing it now is probably the best option just because, again, I don't think we give 50% off all that often. So use that Elite Up promo code for 50% off. Uh, Any other of our PFF subscriptions, you can still get 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. But Elite Up is the best we give as far as elite subscribers go. You get all of these stats and grades that we're talking about, all our best betting tools, fantasy tools, and all of the draft coverage. And again, if you sign up today, you'll have it until December 30th. 2022 so you'll have next year covered you'll have draft season covered all of that stuff so i would suggest you do it right now use elite up for 50 percent off your entire year of pff elite right now at pff.com sam you were giving away a few elite subscriptions right and uh, i'm doing the same over on twitter so check out my twitter account at pff underscore steve yep um, I don't know how long that elite up 50% off thing is going to last, but as I said, I do know that the year is coming to an end in the next couple of days, and that's when certain you know financial things roll over from one year to the next. So if I was a betting man, that's when I'd say it ends. Yeah, right? It's, it's better if we get them in, right? It's kind of like uh, police officers giving out the tickets at the end of the month, right? And don't, don't they have to do that? Quota time? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just trying to offer something special to the fans before the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Elite up, 50% off. All right, Atlanta Falcons at the Buffalo Bills. How about the Bills here? How big is their win last week against the New England Patriots? They go into New England. They get the win. They're now 9-6. and six, And if they win out, they, they've come from behind and they've won the AFC East. To win out, the Bills have to beat the Atlanta Falcons and the New York Jets. So... The Bills, after last week's huge win, have put themselves in great position. They're favored by 14 and a half. 
Bills are also one of those weird teams that they've been as dominant as any team as far as individual games go and individual spreads. They just had these other games that they happen to lose, like against Jacksonville, and went through these lulls where they just, you know, lost some games. But Buffalo looked like a Super Bowl team last week in New England, and yeah, they're favored by more than two touchdowns this week against Atlanta. Man, speaking of large betting lines, I mean, the Atlanta Falcons are like one game under five hundred. Like they're they've set their yeah. seven win team, and Buffalo is favored by fourteen and a half points. Um, that's a huge number. But I think you, your point is good that particularly against teams where they don't where they match up well stylistically. Like if you're not facing the Colts or the Patriots or one of these teams that has a dominant offensive line and wants to run the ball and control you up front, the Bills have been really good at just establishing that they're better than their opposition. Like, just going out there and proving that they are a much better team top to bottom. Um, and they're getting, you know, reinforcements back. The guys that were on the COVID list last week, they were, their wide receiver room, essentially, should be back in the building. And that makes them, I mean, just better than Atlanta across the board. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look, I, I don't see the Falcons' past defense. They've made some strides this year. Um, from from horrible to just you know not as horrible, and I think I think Allen and the the Bills are going to have success through the air. The Falcons' best bet is you know as you mentioned matchup wise, Atlanta will they be able to run the ball a little bit as teams have against the Bills? I just don't know if that's enough. Uh, I haven't checked the Buffalo weather yet, but anytime you get Matt Ryan chucking the ball around in a weather game outside of the dome. I mean, for like five or six years now, it's been kind of iffy, and uh, I just don't trust that. Let's get to, let's, let me check out some Buffalo weather here so I could really really feed that narrative. I'm sure it's going to be windy. I was a little snowy when I drove through there the other night. We're still dealing with a pretty small sample size, but Buffalo does look like they're fine against the – not fine, good still. They're still one of the best pass defenses in the NFL – Without Tredavious White, which was a big question mark. You know, obviously he goes down for the year with with the injury, and we didn't know if that was going to have a big impact on their ability to defend the pass. It doesn't look like it has so far. So, yeah, like Buffalo's pass defense against Matt Ryan and that that Falcons attack, like they'll be able to do something, but Buffalo should be able to blunt it enough. And then there's no way Atlanta's pass defense is stopping everything the Bills are bringing to the table. As of right now, during the day, cloudy with snow showers, 61% chance of precipitation, right at 32 degrees. So it says snow, but it's kind of that wintry mix type of feeling. And uh, wind gusts between 15 and 25 miles an hour. Uh, I'm out on Matt Ryan and the Falcons. For that reason, I'm out on Matt Ryan and the Falcons, in on Buffalo. And I think Buffalo, you know, they've got this path to the AFC East title. And again, just really reiterates how just big that game was last week. You got Buffalo covering for 14 and a half as well? 14 and a half. That's so A lot of points. It is. They've done it before. <sighs> no, let me. Go ahead. Go Atlanta, ahead. Take Atlanta. Atlanta are going to cover 14 and a half points. For Daryl Patterson, three touchdowns on the ground. Yes. In a tight. The man, the myth, the legend. That's, that's, that's how it's going to happen. All right, I'll take Buffalo. You'll take Atlanta. Carolina Panthers at the New Orleans Saints. Sam Darnold getting the start. For the Panthers, Matt Rule, he's becoming your new Matt Nagy. We just want to see. We just want to see what he can do. Just want to see what he can do. Pressing game of the week. The um, the second rounder 
officially gone for the Carolina Panthers and off to the Jets, the second rounder that they gave to Sam Darnold. Is that right? Or was that already official? I just know we updated in our draft sim. So if you're over at pff.com, our mock draft sim, yeah, the Jets have that second rounder for the Panthers. Doesn't look like it's the uh, it's been worth it to this point. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, Carolina has three quarterbacks and therefore zero quarterbacks. Uh, the New Orleans Saints should at least not have to start Ian Book again, which will be a, a boost for them. Um, like this is just this is kind of a bummer, this game. Like you've got two pretty good defenses. New Orleans in particular I think is a very good defense now. Um but neither one of these teams can bring much to the table on offense. Carolina has actually got a really nice group of playmakers. They just don't have an offensive line to let them function, and they don't have a quarterback that can get them the ball. The Saints' offensive line is banged up. They've got Alvin Kamara, and that's basically it in terms of playmakers. So they don't have enough to, to get anything done either. This is just like, God, this, this game feels like it might be ugly to watch. Saints' pass rush has been really inconsistent, but very good over the last couple of weeks uh, against the Bucs which is a challenge, and then against the Dolphins, which is less of a challenge. So the Saints get to go up against the Dolphins and Panthers offensive lines in back-to-back weeks. I expect I expect the pass rush to continue to have success up front for the Saints. And, uh, yeah, not having a poor Ian Book, not only just overwhelmed by, you know, not being that good, but also not having many players near him. So, yeah, I think the Saints will look a lot better offensively. I think they'll they'll have success defensively up front. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if Sam Darnold's going to show anything in these last two weeks that are going to make the Panthers say, yeah, yeah, we're going to – we definitely want to roll with you next week, even though uh, – next year, even though we already paid that fifth-year option. So I don't think there's anything Darnold can show you in the last two weeks that changes your mind on what you've seen so far. Um, the, remember, this was like – this was the game in week two, was it, where the Saints kind of got battered by yeah. Carolina and it was – Darnold was great. Yeah, the second of that three-game win streak where Carolina, where everyone's like, oh, maybe maybe the Panthers are actually legit. But that was the game where the Saints were missing. They were on the road for the first month because of the hurricane. They were missing a bunch of coaches and players. Like, the whole thing was a disaster. So the fact that the Saints are favored by seven right now, I think, is actually indicative of reality as opposed to, you know, any kind of massive swing of what happened at the time. Saints going to cover the seven here, though? I mean, betting into any of the quarterbacks that can possibly start in this game covering a seven-point spread is tough, but yeah. I'll take Carolina just because seven feels pretty steep for a Saints team that, you know, they have their own issues too, but I think they'll do well defensively. Give me Carolina to at least keep it somewhat close. What did you say? Uh, yeah, I, I think the Saints have enough to cover it, even if I okay. hate any of those quarterbacks trying to cover that number. For the five elite subscriptions that I I said, you know, give me a quote tweet with your favorite John Madden moment. And it's funny because I, you know, I feel like you could almost send anything to me and I wouldn't really know if John Madden said it or not. And it, you know, anything could kind of pass. Somebody just said, do you comb your hair with a pork, pork chop? Said to Steve Young during during their first meeting. And I have no idea if Madden actually said that, but it's everything sounds plausible because Madden's had some hilarious one-liners. So I feel like you could lie to me too and maybe still get one of those five elite subscriptions if you quote tweet some ridiculous quote. Yeah, you're not going to be doing a ton of uh, fact-checking on this. I, I don't know how to fact-check all that stuff. How am I going to do that? Can I get a fact-checker over here on my Madden quotes? 
Denver Broncos at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers coming off. Oh, man, what a humiliating loss against the Houston Texans. But they're still favorite Chargers by six and a half. Hosting the Denver Drew Locks here. Yeah, the Denver Drew Locks, who looks sounds like he's going to be starting again. Like, <laughs> we're finally going to get the look at what Drew Locke can do in this offense. And, you know, he, he graded well last week. His numbers were not good. The Denver offense didn't have a ton of success. But, like, his two best passes were incomplete. Um, one was one was actually dropped, right? And the other one that Cortland Sutton just didn't get his feet down on the sideline. But those were both... Those are both dimes, and they would have made a material difference to like what that Denver offense was doing uh, in the game. Because remember, they had literally zero run game. Those guys got absolutely annihilated up front. The pass game was stalling because of those plays and those negatives, and not able to sort of sustain and extend drives. But like Drew Locke, I think played pretty well. Now the question is, would that have still happened if he if they'd had success on the ground and instead of putting the ball in the air like 25 times he put the ball in the air 50 times or 40 in a normal game who knows probably not knowing drew Locke's history but we get a we get another look at him like the Chargers defense is not good they should be able to have success on the ground so this game should look like more normal from a quarterback point of view and a, a fairer indication of what drew Locke can do Chargers just become more confusing for me, Sam. Um, I do think, you know, Denver will have more success on the ground with Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. Gordon will have more. I'm, I'm going on record right now. Gordon will have more than negative four yards on the ground this week. Because uh, even if he doesn't play and has zero, still win. Yeah. So Gordon will have more than negative four. Can't figure out the Chargers. Their offense is one of the best as far as points per drive go. Their defense looked good early in the season. They've been destroyed at other times. Like every team, yeah, they've had injuries and turnover and, and all that stuff. They've got Brandon Staley being aggressive, going for it on fourth down. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There's just a lot happening with the Chargers, and they're becoming that team that you just like don't want to make a prediction uh, about. I mean, maybe I'm just really stunned by last week's performance against the Texans but there's been others like that from the from the Chargers so far this year no I mean if you have a game <laughs> if you if you lose to the Texans like last week you cannot possibly predict anything that this team can do like they lost to the Chiefs in overtime remember the Chiefs are arguably the best team in the NFL right now and then the next week they go up and back that and back that up with a monster loss to Houston in a game where they had all those failed fourth down conversions that easily could have just been field goals. So, yeah, they could have won against the Chiefs. Not just losing to Houston, but a Houston team like shorn of their best players, right? It wasn't even like right. a full strength Houston team, which would have been terrible. It was a second string Houston team by and large, which was terrible. And they still absolutely waxed them. Like, yeah, at that point, any predictions with the Chargers is asking for trouble. But I'm, I'm generally fascinated to see what Drew Locke looks like in a more kind of normal game flow situation where they should have a run game and you know all those receiving weapons that we've talked about I mean it, it might be actually be entertaining I, I scoffed last week when Ian Hartitz on the live show was talking about how Drew Locke is like a fun type of bad I was like I don't even know if he is anymore it's just kind of gotten sad but I think he's convinced me again like that might actually be a fun type of bad 
I, you're not getting sucked into him having like a pretty good game last week with a couple big time throws, avoided the turnover worthies and all that stuff. You're not getting sucked in though, right? No, no, no. Like I think he'll probably have a couple of turnover worthy plays. But the point is the okay. bi- the the big time throws, like the dimes that he has, makes those it are fun. fun always. And the yeah. fact that you don't know which is coming in any given throw, like the yeah. dime, and- the turnover worthy throw, the miss, the field throw, it could be anything. We made the point last week his two best throws got they, they fell incomplete and sometimes that happens don't show up in the box score. I think this week though I'm not going to overreact as much as I'm angry at the Chargers for looking so bad last week against the Texans. Um, I'll take the Chargers to bounce back this week and for Drew Locke to revert back into a turnover machine. So that's uh, I'll take the Chargers to cover the six and a half. Was that is that harsh? Maybe it's harsh. Um, I do think Denver has success on the ground though. I think they'll they will move the ball. Maybe it's a high scoring affair here. Uh, I think Denver will cover this. Right. The Broncos, another team that's looking at Vic Fangio, his future. We'll see how they finish. Uh, technically still alive in the playoff picture as well in Denver. Uh, Detroit Lions at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by seven. And Seattle coming off a very disappointing, heartbreaking loss to the Chicago Bears where they let a uh, they let a sprint out beat them on a two-point conversion here, Sam. That just... It's unacceptable. You know it's a bad season for the Seahawks when the must-have-it, go to uh, go for it, two-point conversion, the sprint-out works. And is this the last home game? Is this the last time in Seattle for Russ or for Pete, for both? More uh, more QB potential drama here for the, for the NFL. You lost to the clutch that is Nick Foles. Like, that's... Yeah, it happens. It happens every ten to fifteen Nick Foles games. You just you just succumb to the the clutch that he brings to the table. It happens to the best of them. Like Tom Brady couldn't survive it. Russell Wilson can't survive it. It's just the reality of the it. NFL. Um, yeah, it, it could well be the getting to the end for Russell Wilson and uh, Pete Carroll. We talked about it on the NFL Daily today. Um, not me and you, we me and uh, me and Trevor. The new, the new podcast combination. Like you're being. Come on. I mean, look. He, you, you used that great topic on him. When I thought we were saving that one. I mean, look. That's that's where it went. Now it's going to cook. Everybody's going to listen to it. It's going to look like you. Come on, man. I, mean, I don't make the rules. Look, I'm just saying you're, you're getting Wally pipped here by. I was saving that topic for when I was back. I don't. I, I don't control this thing. I just I just sit in the chair and talk. That's. I'll run my own daily. Same topic. You got to get my thoughts on it. Okay. By the way, there was there was a good article in the Athletic, kind of laying out some of those options today. Um, the idea that Pete Carroll and um, John Schneider both kind of have personnel control. Would they? Would John Schneider? Would they kick Pete out and let John Schneider rebuild this thing? Would Russ trust Schneider to do it? Without Pete Carroll, like, what, who's the bottleneck here, so to speak? Is it Russ at 34 years old and looking a little less mobile and uh, less infallible than he was for a few years, right? I mean, there's a lot of potential moving parts. So That, I think, is their biggest issue, is that I don't know that you can convince Russell Wilson anymore that you know how to fix this, you know? Because, like, le- le- if you reverse the last offseason, it's like, oh, Russ is mad because his offensive line is bad. Okay. We hear you. Let's go get Gabe Jackson. Let's start building this thing around you. And, and Gabe Jackson hasn't been any better in Seattle than he was trending uh, for the last few years of his career. And at the same time, Dwayne Brown has reached the age where he's looking like he's declining. So all of a sudden, it's actually somehow worse after you tried to fix it. Like, And the guys you've brought in in terms of young players or the draft or whatever, none of those have panned out. So you're back to this. Like, If you're Russell Wilson, you're like, okay. I, I want to believe you, but 
where is evidence that you know how to fix this? Like, where are the players that you brought in that have upgraded the situation at all? You know, and you're basically pointing to, like, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, who were not even maximizing the end, right? Like, yeah. back b- before that, you're going back to, like, Bobby Wagner. Like, it's such a long time since this team has done well from a talent acquisition point of view that I don't think you're going to be able to convince Russell Wilson that the people to fix it are there, at which point he's probably out of there because his career is, you know, reaching that point where he's probably got one more run somewhere. And if it's not going to be in Seattle, he's got to get out. Ten years, Russell Wilson, and uh, you know, playing with the Seahawks, drafted in 2012, third-round pick, wins the Super Bowl in his second year, one play away from winning the Super Bowl in his third year. And, again, the roster has gotten slightly worse, I think, every year since that point. You know, little ebbs and flows, but... Uh, so a fascinating storyline here. If it could be the last time we see Russell Wilson at home in Seattle, a place where the Seahawks were just so tough to beat for so many years because of that great team that they had, because of the you know the 12th man, the uh, the the noise bowl that they you know the bowl of noise that they have uh, in Seattle. So uh, favored by seven, Dan Campbell. People are asking about Dan Campbell for Coach of the Year. Sam, he's won two games with this Detroit team and tied one. A lot of coach of the year hype for, you know, half the league. Yes. Um, I do think, I mean, I think this kind of fits into Trevor's rant yesterday, which is like, we can say he's done a good job without saying he's coach of the year, right? Like, yeah. uh, what were expectations for this Detroit team? Now, I know quite quickly into the season, they became, maybe they go winless, at which point two wins and a draw, uh, two wins and a tie you know, seems like an achievement, but like at the start of the year, what was their win? What was their win total prop bet? Like it kind of been probably was, three, right? It was probably two wins, right? At which point nobody's, nobody's really lower than three usually, right? Yeah. So he's probably about where they were supposed to be. Okay. With the caveat of, yes, they've been playing hard for him. And yes, he's made some nice decisions in terms of fourth down and those two point go for wins and all those kinds of things. Again, I think he's done a good job, but has he been the best coach in the NFL this year? No, of course he hasn't. I mean, if you're going to put Dan Campbell in there, you're going to put David Culley in there with the Texans. Expectations were just as bad for the Texans. He's got Davis Mills playing playing ball. COVID-ravaged team dropping 40 on the Chargers. So, uh, yeah, you're right. We don't need every, like, it's okay to say good without, like, it's like the Hall of Fame debate. It's okay to say this guy's good and not a Hall of Famer. It's okay. It's allowed. Anyway, Dan Campbell... He's been fun. I think the Detroit defense is, they're doing some good stuff, you know, with with low expectations over there. Aaron Glenn's done some nice stuff with that D. And uh, Campbell, he's talking about Jared Goff over these last couple weeks, kind of getting his uh, evaluation for the future. Goff has been just not great this year. He's had a couple moments in those wins or near wins where he's made some big throws and everything. But um, I do think Detroit's going to be in the market for one of those first-round quarterbacks. But we'll see. We'll see how Goff finishes here if he's if he gets another year of uh, transitional time in this uh, Lions rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I think Goff's been pretty terrible this year, and they are moving on from him as soon as it makes sense within whatever long-term strategy they had planned out for this whole thing in the first place. Like, I don't know, maybe quarterback isn't the year two thing. Maybe this is a three-year project where the young guy comes in when everything is around him. Um, yeah. But either way, like as soon as the, as soon as it makes sense for their plan to drop kick Jared Goff to the curb, that's what they're doing. Like he's not he's not staying there any longer than he absolutely has to. 
Uh, you don't overuse it, but you use it at the right time. The drop kick to the curb. I'll take Seattle to cover the seven. This might be it. This might be the swan song for uh, Russ and Pete in Seattle. Look at you. You're all like, uh, you're all emotional. Oh, yeah. This all the emotional. All the stuff I say forget about during the offseason. Bring four quarterbacks in. Let them compete. Emotion doesn't matter. I'm like all in here in week 17. Week 17 emotion matters. I think the, uh, I think the finding Dan Campbell's keep it close. The fighting Dan Campbell's keep it close. You're taking Detroit. Yeah, Seattle does play close games against everybody. Speaking of uh, Coach of the Year candidate, David Culley. Hmm. Houston Texans at the San Francisco 49ers getting 12 and a half. Niners favored by 12 and a half here. They're 8 and 7. They're rolling. I mean, they lost to the Titans last week, but they're generally second half of the year rolling, feeling pretty good about themselves. Jimmy G's hurt, though. And it might be, is it Trey Lance time here? Is it Trey Lance time for the Niners? Not just hurt, but thumb injury. Throwing thumb injury. Um, never good. No, never good. Like, can you, I mean, the 49ers ask and want Jimmy G to pass over the middle of the field more than most quarterbacks. And that's why Jimmy G throw has a lot of passes where it's like, what the hell were you doing? Why didn't you see the linebacker right in front of you? Because like, that's where he's targeting all the time. That's how that offense functions. It's, ne- it's not necessarily the best of ideas <laughs> when you have a fully healthy Jimmy G. When you have a thumb-injured Jimmy G passing into that area, that just feels like a recipe for disaster to me. So I think this game's kind of interesting because obviously we just saw Houston was capable of putting up some points and you know looking pretty good. This is a 12-and-a-half-point line, and you have a quarterback that has a tendency to make some pretty catastrophic mistakes generally – and is playing with a thumb injury, like how many Jimmy G disasters would it take for this line to be immediately ridiculous, right? Like, is it one? One throw right to a linebacker and this line is silly? Two? Three? Because any of them are on the table. Yeah, the the Jimmy G stuff is just fascinating, right? I mean, they the, the Niners felt the need to upgrade them. And I think they felt the need to upgrade because of on-field performance plus the injury stuff, which is now popping up again, right? The fact that he had only been available for about 50% of available starts for Kyle Shanahan. But when he's out there, they win over 70% of their games, right? It is a crazy tough balance, right? And, I, you know, I made the point the other night, Jimmy G's just good enough. You, know, you start to believe in him, he throws the ball to the linebacker, to your, to your point there. I don't know if this current version of Trey Lance is an upgrade, though. So... I don't know what the best play is here for the Niners. I I am fascinated to see if they do build a game plan around Trey Lance with all these healthy playmakers, though, just how explosive and dangerous they could be. But, like, if Trey Lance is out there, it is going to be a matter of if Jimmy G's making one or two of these bad decisions or three in a given game, Lance has been making more preseason, early season. He's been making more, whether it's, you know, holding the ball too long or throwing the ball to uh, defenders and all that stuff. I think the Niners become more volatile, believe it or not, with a Trey Lance in there. But uh, Jimmy does has to pl- have to play a cleaner brand of football than than he has at times this year. And even in that Titans game, like Jimmy G averaged nine point one yards per attempt in that game. Now, obviously, the problems were throwing the ball to defenders, but like that nine point one yards per attempt would lead the NFL if he was doing that all season long. And he's second in the NFL in yards per attempt overall. So, like even with those mistakes, he that that he was still productive and moving the ball a ton they're they're in a tough spot because like I don't know how long this kind of thumb injury is going to linger but it's like a torn ligament and a fracture I think which 
feels like the kind of thing that's going to last a while. Um, yeah. Now, and, and you might be able to play through it, but I sincerely doubt you're going to play well through it. So all of a sudden, the 49ers of this team looking at making the playoffs – the guy, the quarterback that was starting and playing well for most of the year to kind of put you in that position might be not an option anymore. And the young rookie quarterback <laughs> that you have as a backup option, you've sort of stripped of the um, the development time that he could have had if you'd put him in at week five or whenever Jimmy G was having the wobbles and you decided to, to stick with him anyway. Now, the problem is it's almost like a catch-22, right? Because... In the playoffs, you really wish that Trey Lance had had those games to get the bad out of the way and develop and improve. On the other hand, if you'd given him those games, you probably wouldn't be in a position of looking at the playoffs at all. Like the way the Trey Lance looked like he was going to be playing, this team might not have had any shot of making the postseason if he'd been the quarterback all the way through. So they're just in this really tough spot now. A lot of people are trying to make the Colin Kaepernick, Alex Smith comparison, which was their Super Bowl year, 2012. Alex Smith was in the middle of his best season. Like 2011 and 12, Alex Smith kind of emerged. After five years of mediocrity or worse for the number one overall pick, Alex Smith emerged as a good quarterback in 11 and 12 under Jim Harbaugh. And then the Niners made the move to go from good to great. They decided, okay, Alex Smith is good, but we think Colin Kaepernick makes us great. And he did down the stretch. He did upgrade that offense and add a lot. Do you see similarities there? I just don't know if I'm making that connection. I think it, theoretically you could see new stuff from the Niners offense. And I think their upside hypothetically could be higher. But, but once again, the Niners have had so much success with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. For all of his flaws, they've had so much success. I don't know if you're actually making the team that much better with Trey Lance. And so I don't know if it's a fair comparison or not to say, yeah, Trey Lance is the guy that makes this team better because I do think he has enough accuracy issues and decision-making issues at this point in his career that it's probably not an upgrade like it was back in 2012. No, I, I don't think it would be an upgrade. Or more to the point, it would take a massive departure over what we have seen from Trey Lance so far in the NFL, which, to be clear, is like a minuscule sample size, right? Sure. He's played, what, like 60 dropbacks in the regular season plus whatever he had in the preseason. Like, we have not seen an awful lot of Trey Lance at all. But what we have seen from him suggested that there was a long way to go or that he was very prone to putting the ball in harm's way, which is the biggest issue of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Um, the difference being that we didn't really see Trey Lance – um, having the kind of production that Jimmy G had between the, the big mistakes, right? The, the production wasn't the same. So we're seeing a guy that's probably more prone to cause turnovers but hasn't yet brought to the table the 9.1 yards per attempt passing that Jimmy G has, at which point, yeah, like it, it would take the guy, if he plays, whether it's this week or into the playoffs or you know the final week of the season, he would need to have developed a lot from – sitting there on the sideline getting mental reps over the last, like, 10 weeks. Here's the other stat that kind of tells that good story. For the season, Jimmy Garoppolo is averaging 8.5 yards per attempt, right? That's an incredible number, and he does it despite only nine big-time throws, right? The fourth lowest big-time throw rate in the NFL. So this – and again, that all that speaks to is Jimmy Garoppolo is not creating those big play opportunities by making incredible throws, like, like I talked about with Tua earlier, how Tua's not either – 
that means something else is. That means it's either Debo Samuel and George Kittle and the playmakers, or it's Kyle Shanahan and the offense, or a combination of the two. So the most important thing for this Niners offense, as much as you would like to have those special throws available, the most important thing is hitting the open throws that have that are there in this offense week in, week out. And I do think Garoppolo does that better than Trey Lance. But it would be interesting to see um, if Lance has developed. Because, again, accuracy was not really his forte coming out, but he's a special runner. Um, and he does have a good arm and some big playability. Niners by 12 and a half. Can the uh, Fighting Davis Mills is, is keep it close here? Uh, I Yeah, I think they will because I just we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo play through injuries before. Now, it's generally gone pretty horribly. Now, I can only imagine that an injury to his throwing hand would be possibly the worst type of injury to have. So it just feels like this is a game where Jimmy G throws it to the defense a couple of times, and at that point, it's really hard to cover, like, 12 and a half points. I'm going to take San Francisco because I think if Jimmy G can't go, I do think they'll have a quick hook, get Trey Lance in there. I think they'll be able to do enough on the ground against Houston, and I also think every time we've kind of bought into Houston as this pesky team, they've also kind of laid an egg. They have a tough time putting back-to-back really good performances together as well, so give me the Niners. How many ridiculous mistakes do you think they would give Jimmy G before they pull him from the game? I honestly, he didn't even throw at practice yesterday, right? Like, is he even going to start? I don't know if he's going to have the ability to throw the ball. We And, and here's the thing. You might just want to say, hey, it's Houston. We're favored by almost two scores, two touchdowns. Like, maybe we do let Trey Lance play this game. I'm expecting to see a lot of Trey Lance in this one based off the early reports on the thumb injury. Jimmy tried to play through that ankle injury last year. It was a disaster against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I think they have a quicker hook. They had a decent quick hook last year in that game. Well, they waited until the half, I think it was. This might be like three throws where they say, if you can't go, you're done. We have Trey Lance here. We drafted him for a reason. So I think it's a quick hook, and the Niners cover the 12 and a half. Okay. If anything, the line is moving. Oh, no, it's not. Sorry. The, the line is moving back towards Houston, but it's not like it's only gone from 15 the 12 and a half that doesn't feel like enough to be a confident in Trey Lance starting kind of move yeah yeah no I get it but uh I can't believe you're rolling with Davis Mills and the Texans go for it all right three more games here Tampa Bay Bucks at the New York Jets Bucks favored by 13 on the road here the Bucks have the Jets and then the Panthers again it looks like they should be able to win out put themselves in position uh, for that potential number two seed. So they're battling the Dallas Cowboys. They're battling the Los Angeles Rams. Um, and they're favored by 13 here against the Jets. And also feels like one of those games where the Bucks pass rush kind of... They'll, they'll get home a few times, I think, against Zach Wilson, the way he holds onto the ball. Yeah. So Zach Wilson, I think, did show flashes last week for one of the first times this season. On the other hand, I believe that the majority of those flashes were down to the pure ineptitude of the Jacksonville defense like his run for was it a touchdown where he it was yeah like the guy just somebody just didn't push him out of bounds like that should not have happened it should have been a scramble for whatever modest gain that was and then he's allowed to run into the defense and sidestep a guy like that was almost as culpable for a touchdown I don't think that happens against an actual NFL defense like I don't think that happens against Tampa Bay so now look it's great like we're, we're clutching at straws here. We're looking for anything from Zach Wilson, from Trevor Lawrence anything. in the final few weeks of the season. That was a game where Zach Wilson finally showed something. Now 
do it again against a real team. That's like that's the only thing if you're the Jets to come out of this game looking for anything. Yep, always looking for some sort of hope with Zach Wilson. Maybe the defense playing a little bit better. Uh, Bucks, I think it's it's going to be a continued uh, work in progress. I'm not sure on Mike Evans' status here uh, as far as this week goes, but last week without Mike Evans, without Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown was, you know, he got half of Brady's targets. I think we'll continue to see more of Antonio Brown being being fed here. Um, and also, oh, Evans, is on the, Evans is on the COVID list now as well with... Uh, the hamstring injury that he had. Uh, Shaq Barrett's going to miss at least two games, sprained MCL and ACL. That's a, a big loss for the Bucs, especially because they'll probably be playing in the first round of the playoffs. We'll see if he'll be back and healthy for that. But I think if you're if you're a Bucks fan, you're rooting for health and the team to kind of just be peaking here as you, as you should win these last two games, right? At New York, home against the Panthers, um, and then keeping an eye on those on the Cowboys and Rams to try to see if you can get that number two seed rather than if you're at number four as they are right now the Bucks they're playing the Cardinals it's a much more challenging game in that first round if they are um, if they are blowing out the Jets in this game and they're like running off into the distance they should put Antonio Brown in bubble wrap and put him yeah, on the sideline like that guy has become so important to this passing attack now that if they can protect him in this game they should. I mean, same with Gronk, too. I mean, just you've got Cameron Brait, you have O.J. Howard. One of the adjustments the Bucks have made is to go with more three tight end type of looks with, with some of the receiver depth being challenged. And then um, I do want to keep an eye on Cyril Grayson, the speedster, like former track star who, you know, when you have track stars becoming receivers, they, they take some time looking like good football players. He had a big game last week, though, getting behind the defense, and they featured him on end arounds and all that stuff. So we'll see if he becomes a consistent weapon in this Bucks offense as their deep threat uh bucks by 13 they're going to cover this sam um yes i will also take them to cover it and uh of course brady and rogers still the two betting favorites i think for the mvp so we'll see if uh either of those two guys have have those big moments here these last couple weeks to see about that uh, very important award that you love so much. Jacksonville Jaguars at the New England Patriots. All I wanted to see was Urban Meyer versus Bill Belichick, but we have Daryl Bevel at New England against Belichick. This one's 15 and a half. New England is favored by, and of course, the historic success of Bill Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks. He's already faced Zach Wilson a couple times. He's faced Davis Mills, who did some Pretty good work against this Patriots defense, but now he gets to get face Trevor Lawrence. 15 and a half point spread here for the Patriots. Davis Mills just continues to show up the number one and number two overall pick of the draft, whether it's, you know, showing flashes late in the season when the other guys aren't, whether it's the one guy that's causing Bill Belichick problems as a rookie quarterback. Man, just, I'm telling you, the man's purpose in life is to add context to how bad things have been for Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence this season. Um, Yeah, like Trevor Lawrence and this Jacksonville offense, the way it is functioning against a New England Bill Belichick defense, God, that doesn't feel like it's going to end well. No, I don't think so either. Um, I was trying to, I'm checking the weather here too, just, you know, because Mac Jones hasn't thrown the ball that well himself over these last couple weeks. What's that? That's the bigger point into this game is that Mike Jones has kind of disappeared over the last few weeks. His, I think his four worst games of the year in terms of PFF grade, sorry, four of the five have come in the last four games. Like, and that is the difference between the Patriots looking unstoppable and, you know, headed for the number one seed to 
struggling. Like they're not they're not looking like a, an unstoppable force anymore. And all of a sudden, Wait, it's, it's you, the Mac Jones. Are is you not, counting the Buffalo game? Am I counting? I mean, yeah, but like, okay, forget that game. But the three of the last four games then have been three of his four worst grades of the year. Right. And and so I agree not to overreact to the Buffalo game when he didn't throw. Oh, they don't trust Mac Jones. It's like, all right, whatever. They had a game plan. It worked fine. Uh, but I know they were in Indy. They had the dome for one of these December games. But last week, you know, it's tough throwing in New England in December and January. So I do think that is a factor, right? And so is it... Is it that just is it late season stuff? Is it weather and just it's a little more uncomfortable, or is it just natural regression? Like Mac was never that good as as good as he showed earlier, and he's just kind of coming back down to earth. Yeah, but like if weather is a problem, like you got drafted the Patriots. This is a bad team to be playing oh, no. for. No, I get it. That's why that's a story, right? If so, he'll have open throws against this Jaguars defense, presumably. If he's scattering the ball all over the place with accuracy issues and can't throw, it's going to be a 40% chance of rain. It's in the 40s. It's not crazy. If he can't throw the ball effectively this week, it's a major issue going forward, potentially, right? You're, you're thinking about this as an issue for Mac Jones going forward. I think he'll be all right. I think he'll throw the ball fine against the Jags, but I think that's what you want to see. And then you go to Miami in week 17, uh, week 18, sorry, week 18 at Miami, a tough game to round out the season. But New England, um, very high playoff chances because we're expecting them to beat ja- the Jaguars. It's over two two touchdown spread here. Um, but if they don't, for some reason, <laughs> disaster's happening because, you know, you've got to go to Miami in week 18 for that shot at the playoffs. So uh, I expect New England to take care of business here, but it, it would take something miraculous on Jacksonville's side, you know, playing completely different than they have in pretty much every game this year to, to even keep it close. Yeah, I don't think Jacksonville are going to score many points at all. And the question is, like, does Mac really? Jones? Yeah, I is mean, zero. Nah, I don't think they're going to get shut out. But I don't. I mean, if they scored single digits, I wouldn't be shocked. You're Bill Belichick. You always like to take away the best playmaker on the other side. Are you like, who is it? You can't let Laquan Treadwell beat you. They're going to send double teams on Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> they might just go seven-man blitz every single time and say, nobody can beat us. Here we go. Come beat us, Trevor. Um, I think uh, I think New England covers the 15 and a half, man. Yeah. All right. New England, last home game of the year. They'll cover the 15 and a half. What's that? What is the over-under on this game? It's got to be tiny. I'm going to guess 44. 41.5. I mean, it's just it's one or two fluke plays for the Jags to, to get that over, right? I mean, it, it depends how many points they give up. Yeah. I'll take New England to cover, and so will you. Is this every game now? Giants at Bears. This is our last one, yeah. Bears by six. This is one of the biggest games of the week. God. The Giants need this, Sam. They need it for draft position. Yeah. They have the Bears' first-round pick. Think of the double whammy here. If the Giants, I mean, it's kind of a catch-22, right? The Giants hurt their draft position, but then they get the draft position back from the Bears by having their pick. It's a rare game at the end of the year where winning actually improves your draft position. Right. Or, or is a tie better? Has anybody run the numbers on this? Should the Giants be playing for a tie so that they could both not improve in the standings? And maybe that helps their draft position long-term. Yeah. I mean... I have not done. I I apologize for coming to the show unprepared. I mean, in theory, the Giants have the worst record. So even in this game, winning is actually worse for them. Yeah. But 
you just want you want both teams to be better, not so much one higher than the other. I don't know. What are you looking for in this game? Giants Bears. <laughs> Almost nothing at all. There's it's I mean obviously the Giants with their quarterback situation, it's rough. They don't like they're not able to get Kadarius Tony into the game. Like the the offense is just done. Like it's shut down. It might as well you know, recircle back next year and, and see if see what it's going to look like with the new regime. Um, and then, like, we didn't even get to see Justin Fields last week. It was the, the Nick Foles game. Justin Fields is back at practice. If he's playing, it's always interesting to watch how that offense develops and what they're doing and, you know, if they're actually playing to his strengths in any way, shape, or form, which they haven't been for most of the year. But, like, Fields is one of the most fascinating young quarterbacks in the league right now. Yeah, yeah, it's always Fields and his development. Ankle injury, as you mentioned, back at practice. While fellow Bears quarterback Andy Dalton returned. Full participant. Perfect. So uh, that's exciting. So, uh, yeah, Bears pass rush against a bad Giants offensive line. Anyway, I'm looking for draft position. We're four minutes over time here on the podcast, so that's that's the extent of it. Have you seen Robert Quinn's numbers this year? Yeah, a ridiculous number of sacks and not the pressure totals to match it. Robert Quinn has 16 sacks um, and 42 total pressures, which I went back and like just looked, just eyeballed it year, you know, every year since we've been grading. I think that is the most insane ratio of sacks to total pressures for anyone that's got like more than 10, right? Like that is even just three QB hits in, in the 23 hurries. That is really tough to do. Yeah, like that is an absolutely insane ratio of sacks to pressures. I, I I've never seen anybody like in in the remotest ballpark of that. It's crazy, and it's a, a very similar pass rush grade. Not last year, his pass rush grade went down. 2019 and 2018, similar range. He's a 76 this year. He was a 78 those in 73 those other years. Didn't have those sack totals, though. He had 12. Right. Like, remember remember when Vic Beasley had that one year where he had 16 sacks, and it was like, oh, Vic Beasley, like, the, the sack total was completely out of whack with the pressure total, so this is not predictive. Like, this is not what he's going to be going forward. He had 16 sacks and 56 total pressures. Yeah. So Quinn has 14 fewer pressures for the same number of sacks. Like, it's nuts. Yeah, it really is. Quinn's whole career is fascinating. He's got that random, unbelievable 2013 season with a 93 overall grade, 93 pass rush grade, 91 total pressures. He's never had more than 57 pressures other than that one season in 2013. So I think he's got a chance to, uh, to improve the sack total this week. Yeah, well, like it, if this game, if this game goes to form, he'll get like three total pressures and two sacks against uh, the Giants, right? And uh, you know, get no, he's, he won't break any records, but the uh, sack to pressure ratio record seems like it's Robert Quince to be had here. That's what it's all about. If you want those stats and grades, don't forget Elite Up. That's what we use: premium stats. You have Elite Up, fifty percent off using that promo code Elite Up, fifty percent off it's the best deal we have all year for pff elite and you too can study robert quinn's entire career every single snap he's ever played that's the cool part about premium stats here sam you started a pff what in 2009 2010 graded a whole bunch of guys at the tail end of their career we pretty much have every snap graded for everybody's career other than the old folks like us who are in their late 30s like the big bens and the brady's of the world i mean brady's in his 40s but 
Um, pretty cool. Get all those snaps, all those all those grades back to 2006 in the NFL with a lead up, 50% off. All right, man, it's going to be great. Week 17. It's not 16. It's week 17. And then they're going to make us work an entire extra week this year. Just this brutal. brutal. Bastards. We didn't even get to, did we get to uh, negotiate this at all? Did anybody consult with the podcasters? I, uh, I wasn't in the CBA negotiations. I don't know about you. We got to fight. We got to fight for our rights next time they do this. To and party. add like a, an 18 game schedule. Did you say to party? Yeah. Yeah, you know, Beastie Boys. Good. That's what I expect. Yeah. Exactly what I expect out of you. All right, man. Well, uh, happy new year to you and uh, all the listeners. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back Monday morning reviewing all of the week 17 NFL action. 